Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 86th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that loves to explore treasure in distant lands. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I think that's one of the better ones you've come up with. A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic Singles and sealed product with shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out face-to-face card pricing via mtgprice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at mtgcritic on Twitter. My co-host tonight is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at wizardbumpin, and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good afternoon, evening, I suppose, James. Uh, good evening, listeners. We have uh, an excellent episode here for you. Uh, looking forward to all sorts of some juicy info. Our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Travis, what's on the agenda this week? Why so special? Okay, so this week we're we're starting off normal. Uh, we've got our, our four segments. Segment one is our top movers, where James and I are going to talk about the cards that have risen in price the most over the last week. Segment two is our cards to watch. James and I are going to let you know what cards we've got our eyes on. Segment three is our metagame week in review. We're going to touch on the Star City Open in Louisville that was modern. And for segment four, we've got Star City Leaderboard, I think. Uh, head Leaderboard, something or other. Um pro player Todd Stevens with us. He's going to be talking about Ixalan um, and what that means uh, from the financial side. Now, you're probably familiar with Todd's articles over on Star City from a constructed competitive nature, but he doesn't tend to get into the finance over there. So uh, it'll be nice to have him get to stretch his wings over here today. Yeah, Todd Stevens is the current SCG Tour leaderboard champ at 179 points, a full 49 points uh, beyond his second place rival, um, dominating the tour this year. And uh, if you've been watching him on stream, um, I think you're going to enjoy this content as you as you will um, his his other projects. Um, this is a guy who is a brewer at heart, a meticulous player, um, all around champion and a good soul to have around. Um, when you're trying to figure out whether stuff you want to invest in is a pipe dream or a card that could actually see significant play. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So let's get this, uh, let's get this started here. Um, segment one, our top movers, uh, starting off the week with Maelstrom Nexus over, from Alara Reborn. We're looking at the foils jumped from about 30 to 60. This is due to five color dragons, Ramos specifically, I believe. Uh, and more pointedly, it comes from Jimmy and Josh over on what I think it's called the Command Cast. Command um, Zone. Command Zone. Command Zone. Okay, Command Zone. Yeah, they've uh, they've been producing EDH content for, for a couple of years now, and they've really been stepping up their game. Um, and, you know, they're starting to hit that Saffron stride where yeah. they're like hey here's a cool card and suddenly it's gone um so i believe somewhere i wrote about this card a couple weeks ago as a possible pick because of ramos i know i grabbed a couple myself uh i don't know where i put it though <laughs> but there you go the foils have doubled and i don't expect that to really flinch uh until there's a reprint on this 
I, I love the fact that, you know, magic YouTube content is really coming into its own last couple of years because the, the further these guys push their channels, the less blame we can ever legitimately have placed on our shoulders for moving the price of a card. Yeah, I can write about Maelstrom Nexus and for a month nothing can happen. And they go, you know, it would be a fun card in this Ramos deck and the word's not even out of their mouth and they're all gone. Yeah, 38,000 people watching your episode will do that. Oh, yeah, no kidding. Okay, what do you got next for us? All right, so next up, another tribal card, uh, specifically useful in EDH, Shared Triumph. Um, although, th- is that the one that gives uh, all creatures, it's basically a crusade for all creatures of the same type? Shared Triumph, you choose a creature type when it comes into play, and they get 1-1, one, one, and it's for 2 mana. Yeah, so it, it's a crusade that costs 1 and a white instead of double white, as long as you're all in the same tribe. Yep. And that was Foils moving from 3 to $6, 100% gain. Um, those are the kinds of gains we hate. So let's hope it gets up to like 10 and make somebody some real money. Yeah. Yep. Uh, next on our list is Aether Flash. Uh, we are looking at the seventh edition copies. Also foils again, looks like they've doubled from five to 10. Um, I'm checking over on TCG right now. I see one near mint foil copy at 15 and a market price at six. So this is kind of all over the place at the moment, but it is a foil seventh edition card, which means there are a lot fewer copies than anyone really imagines there being. Um, and frankly, I'm kind of surprised it's that cheap, uh, especially how powerful it is. I definitely brewed with this in 60 card decks. Uh, it's actually really amusing in EDH. You can really annoy the hell out of people with this card in Commander. Uh, so if you can find foil seventh edition copies at 10 bucks, I actually like that buy. I mean, I get it. I guess against certain decks, I think it's a very pretty meta-dependent card. You kind of have to know what oh, people sure. are bringing sure. to the table because if you're playing against the guys who like, are running like, you know, blue-red spells or something, and the other dudes are on dragons and somebody else is on beasts, then your two damage is probably going to injure you more than them. Yeah, it depends on it depends on the build and it depends on your play group. Um, if you've got a couple players who really like playing tokens or lots of small ball type of thing, this just makes them miserable. But yeah, if you've got a couple players who are playing, you know, Shroom and just wanna planeswalker control with a Traxa type of thing, it's much less interesting. So it depends on your group. But it is it is very efficient um, for the mana. If you're facing a bunch of weenie and token decks, certainly. I mean, I have a theory that some that specific people have been targeting seventh and eighth foils for ages. Um, whether it's a set of vendors or you know, a, you know, whether they're organized or not, it, there's been a trend where like they're not moving so fast out of the market that it, it seems like a broad-based trend, but it's been a consistent attack on seventh foils. So I, I feel like somebody started making money on seventh foils at some point and just said, "Hey, I'm just gonna ride this train until somebody else notices." Yeah, but like slowly and but surely, you know what I'm saying? Like when you saw what happened with the you know some of the older uh, reserve list stuff the last couple months. I mean, they got cleaned up fast, but like seventh Mm -hmm. foils have been. We've been seeing these pop up here and there, and for random cards, not cards people are playing a lot of. Like Ether Flash might be an interesting idea for EDH, but the reality is it's in less than 300 decks registered on EDH.rec. So it's very unlikely that EDH players are moving the needle here. Much more likely that somebody who's who has long been targeting foils in seventh, uh, or just you know a smattering of seventh foil collectors, because that's an ongoing process as well. Seventh foils are in demand. People try to finish sets of that um, because it was black bordered core sets, and the foils look really good. Um, so this could just be you know the latest in a in a long stream of you know those minor attacks from various angles. Yeah, yeah I could see that too. It makes sense. Um, 
It is, it is a good one to go after. You know, there's a lot of nifty cards in there, uh, you know, seventh foil specifically rather than, you know, eighth or what have you because it's those, those old border foils. Um, all right, so this next one, Tooth, Claw, and Tail. It is an arch enemy scheme. Um, I'm showing that it went from 12 to 25. Uh, TCG doesn't have any below like 30 or 35 or something, but I, I don't think this is a promo copy. There's... I don't know why this would suddenly jump. I just imagine there was probably not many floating around to begin with because there might not have been that much Arch Enemy product. I'm not clear exactly, but can't imagine people are actually using this, right? No, I, two angles here. One, um, the people that bought these sets, Plane Chase and Arch Enemy, um, the original sets, uh, bought them for casual play at the kitchen table. They don't pay attention to MDG Finance as, as a general rule. They... There are tons of these out there, but the attrition level is high because these aren't the same kind of people that show up at the LGS to sell cards. And when they do, they certainly don't realize that they can bring their arch enemy schemes. Arch enemy schemes aren't sitting on buy lists, so it's not like anybody's making them aware of it when they show up to sell them. And so, you know, even though there are tens of thousands of these out there, very few of them are popping up in the hands of vendors and and so the supply steadily diminishes over time and these are not the kind of products that get easily reprinted or often reprinted in fact we have almost no precedent for that much more likely that they would print fresh schemes and fresh planes than to reprint some um, because there's no there's no format demands um, that require reprintings and so all of that adds up to, you know, very limited data on these cards in general. They're more collectibles than they are playing cards. Um, and, you know, if you if you bought the original Arch Enemy set and it's sitting in your closet, maybe you want to dig that out and see if you can sell it to somebody, um, throw it up on eBay or something, and uh, turn that into some cards you need. Yeah, if you've, if you've gotten it floating around, sure, if you can get rid of that. I just, it's kind of, you know, hard to wrap my head around somebody like going to tcg player and paying 30 dollars for this card right yes yeah. like, what <laughs> it's like have you people heard of the app on your phone that will do all of this for you <laughs> <laughs> i mean like i have that for plane chase too and like it would be really cool to have all the plane chase cards but i just haven't bothered to hunt them down and since i don't really like just use the app <laughs> i mean i play this I, I play this casually with people that you know play with me once or twice a year family members and and friends who are into this kind of stuff but not specifically into magic um, mm. So, I mean, I've got all this sitting around, but again, I have no motivation to sell it because even though I know some of them are worth money, there's just other priorities. Yeah. Um, okay, let's talk uh, the next card. What do you got for us? Carnage. Oh, no. Blade of the Sixth Pride um, from Future Sight. Foils moving from 350 to 8. This is like the second time this thing has bumped up um, on people, uh, in theory, playing this in their foily cat decks. Um, it's just a 3-1 for one and a white, but it's got cool art, I guess. So maybe that's enough for the kind of people that care about Cat Tribal. Yeah, there wasn't a lot before. We actually talked about this like weeks and weeks ago. Um, it jumped up from like a quarter or a dollar to like five or six bucks, and then it dropped back down, and now it's bump bumped again. But it is one of the full art vanilla creatures. There's only five of them. So it's pretty cool. At least, you know, if you're going to build a cat deck, I feel like it's a cool add-in. I think you include it because there just aren't that many cats. Um, and the art there's is a, a bonus. Yeah, there. I mean, there's a fair bit. Like cats are like a, a, on the on the down low supported tribe a little bit. Uh, but yeah, it's just sort of like it's there. You might as well. It looks cool. If you're building a cat deck, you're not building it to be really competitive, right? It, put it this way: the the shine is going to come off the cat deck, and new decks are going to appear. This is the thing with EDH, and so any card that isn't good in a bunch of different decks is a card that you want to sell into a spike. Yeah, like, like the broader 
good in lots of tribal cards, they could keep going if they don't see a reprint. But the ones that are specific to, you know, an individual tribe that's not in the top 10 or 15 commanders, that's not something I want to be holding. Agreed. Um, so next up, we have Carnage Tyrant from Ixalan. The non-foils, uh, basically pre-orders essentially, have jumped from 11 to 25. This is the uh, the good one. <laughs> the good one. It's uh, the 6 mana, 7, 6. Can't be countered, trample, and hexproof. So uh, you can't stop it on the way down. And even once it's in play, it's a nightmare to deal with. Um, you know, you can't target it. You can wrath it as your only option. Um, or you can trade with it. That's that's about all you get because there's not even really that many sac effects in the format at the moment. So going to be a thorn in the side for control decks for sure. Um, and it looks like players are kind of on board with that as being the essentially the chase mythic, I guess, because you know neither of the plane, none of the three planeswalkers seem to be too exciting, um, nor any of the other mythics for that matter. Uh, Dire Fleet Ravager is probably the only other kind of like maybe under the radar mythic out there. So Carnage Tyrant is is taking his place as the best mythic in the set at the moment. I'm looking forward to getting Todd's take on this card because I have a sneaking suspicion this format's going to be faster and less tribal than people think it is out of the gate. Um, and then it's not going to be until midwinter that we really see the tribal decks come together. So uh, he's been he was playing some dinosaurs on the SCG uh, preview series uh, uh, that launched earlier this week for the Exelon cards in standard. And uh, I want to see what Todd's got to say about Carnage Tyrant. Yeah, that'll be interesting to hear. Uh, okay, what do you got for us? Jugan the Rising Star from uh, Iconic Masters, uh, going from two to five dollars. Um, that's, this is just nonsense data. We have no idea what the prices are going to be like for these cards because they don't come out for a couple of months. Um, this is just somebody that posted the card because the card's in the system, uh, moving right along. <laughs> yeah, they, they can have one, right? Like, they can have one if they went and they brought yeah, yeah. it home. Oh, it's but real. It's, it's, yeah, you're right. But it's it, irrelevant data. Because you can't buy any and you can't sell any, and this isn't going to be one of the high-demand cards. The, the dragon art for all of these Kamigawa block dragons is super sweet in this set and some foils will do reasonably well in, in the edh crowd but that's months from now let's worry about that later jugan is also the worst dragon yes <laughs> yeah i i hesitated not even putting it on here because i'm like this is irrelevant data but i thought i'm like you know i should we should at least tell the listeners so they realize if they're seeing the same data what this is <laughs> don't get frustrated when you're only allowed to buy one yeah yeah <laughs> Okay. Oh, what do you, you? Why don't you give us the next one? You got the short Crypt, stick on that. Cryptic Gateway foils from Onslaught, uh, moving from twenty-two to fifty-six dollars. If you can sell one of these over fifty, let us know because that would be sweet. Um, I've de- definitely had a few of these sitting around. Some that I bought on the basis that this was going to be Tribal EDH this year, and some that I had sitting from the Super Collection. Um, super sweet. Uh, if you get to sell it on these. Um, there's demand, and uh, if this card doesn't see a reprint, then the foils only get better. I did manage to ditch uh, ditch one of these at 35 or something like that. Uh, so they definitely, I don't think I have any listed at the moment, but they, they sell. I mean, it's, it's it's really good in all of these tribal decks. You can play it in every single one of them. And even if they reprint it, you're not getting it in this border. Yeah, fair. Although, wow, now there's one back up for $28. So if you want one, buy it this minute. <laughs> there is one for $28. Um, okay, next up is Chronozoa. From Planar Chaos, it's a foil jumped from jumped from six to eighteen according to the data. It's it's a really odd card. It has vanishing, and if it manages to survive until if it manages to vanish rather than 
be killed, uh, you get two copies of it. So theoretically, they would just keep doubling. Um, that would take a long time because it's like three turns to double it. Uh, but then again, there's another one on TCG right now at 650. So this also seems like rather erroneous data. There must have been like zero supply. Somebody bought one. The last one was 18 and then somebody's relisting it now. So kind of all over the place. I don't believe this is based on any uh, real deck or real activity. Isn't this thing a, co- a combo with Solemnity? Like you, you put this in play and sack it, and because it had no vanishing counters, you get two copies of it, then you sack those and you get two copies. Does this go infinite? No, because you only... <laughs> this is like that other card we talked about that whose name I escape, escapes me, because the rules text for vanishing says, uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, remove a time counter. When the last is removed, sacrifice it. So that means with Solemnity in the play, this comes into play with no vanishing counters, which means you never remove one, which means you don't sacrifice it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you have to remove it to get the trigger. Yeah, but if you have like an altar in play, one of the various artifacts that are altars that let you sack creatures, then that doesn't matter. And it says if, it, if it's put into the graveyard from play and it had no time counters on it, which Solemnity bans it from having, then you put two tokens into play that are copies of it, which means it goes ultimate. It goes infinite, right? Um. Hold on, I'm reading the rules text. <laughs> this ability, the ability checks to see if it had no time counters on it when it was put into a graveyard. It doesn't necessarily mean it must have been sacked due to vanishing. It could have been put in some other yeah. way. Okay, so the rules, so I want I want credit because the rules text on the card makes it sound like it's a trigger, but it's not, apparently. So you're right, it does go, if you have a sack outlet with Solemnity, it goes infinite, but... That's still a three-card combo. Sure. <laughs> I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying sure, okay. it's, it's infinite creatures. Um, sure. And, and there, there are a bunch of different ways you might want to abuse sack outlets in some weird EDH deck. I, I'm just saying I'm pointing all this out because that may be why people suddenly thought foils were important. And because it's a future site foil, there aren't that many lying around to begin with. Yeah, I, that's very likely what it comes from. That is what it is. Yeah. So I, I think okay. you're going to have trouble unloading these foils because I think the demand will be quite shallow. But you, you slap it up there at the lowest price on whatever platform you enjoy and see how it goes. Yep. Agreed. What do right. you got for me? Uh, Morphling foils. This is the judge foils. Oh, I like this one because picked up some in Europe. Um, 25 to 90 in theory, a 260% gain. This is a reserve list card that had a judge foil, one of the many reserve list exceptions to the rule. Um, and this is only really interesting in that new wizard deck that likes creatures in the graveyard, right? Or it exiles creatures from hand or graveyard. Is that the deal? Marisal exiles yeah. from, yeah, I believe, hand or graveyard. Yeah. So if a morphling is used, then you get five sweet morphling abilities. I think you can only use one of them per turn. Is that her limitation? Uh, let's see. Mare, Mare Hold on. How do you spell her name? <laughs> uh, such, such good research over here. <laughs> God, I don't, where, what is, I don't actually know her name. <laughs> Cause I'm trying, I'm trying to type it in and I'm getting the, um, it's a French name and you're American. So you're, you're okay, forgiven. Okay. We're going to idiot. Let me see if I can find it. It's not on the most recent built lists. God, it's tribes. Oh. oh my god. No, wait. Okay, where's wizard? There's wizard decks. We're getting there, you guys. We're gonna get there. We're gonna <laughs> tell you what it does. Oh my god. How is this not on here? 
These stupid, stupid <laughs> cards. There it is. It means stupid us. M-A-I-R Sil. Okay, so I did type that in right. It's just the website I was using didn't have it in the database. Okay, Fair. I want credit for that one too. It is four <laughs> mana. Uh, exile an artifact or creature from hand or graveyard. Um, you may activate each ability only once per turn. Right, so you get so to use any of the Morphling's abilities, but only once. Got it. Oh, no, no, you can use every Morphling ability, but you can't use them more than once. Right, so you can't, so like, but the, the thing about the Morphling abilities is you often want to pump it really high toughness or really high power or whatever, and you can't right. really take advantage of that. So it's really, I guess the one you're most interested in is the one that... Uh, you untap and Shroud. Untap and yeah, Shroud are the exactly, two that you want. Exactly. So, but I could see, that, I mean, between that and the fact that it's a reserved list, I'm not surprised to have, that this has popped. Yeah, and I mean, Morphling was always, or for a very long time, was sort of like the blue controls standard of creature, right? It was like, well, remember when we had Morphling? Like, remember how stupid that card was? Standard, uh, it was I, such a beating. Yeah, it's mostly been Eclipse at this point, but it does have a little bit of that, you know, vintage appeal as well. And I don't mean the format. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you can get 80 bucks for these, good for you. Like, I don't know. I don't really see this as a particularly useful card in most cases. I don't think cubes are running it. Yeah, but I, I think just because it's reserve list, any modicum of demand will be able to hold this up. And the fact that there's actually an EDH deck that might want it, and there's very limited copies in the marketplace, means that it probably slides off the $90 plateau the first time somebody realizes they have one and gets antsy and posts it at fifty nine ninety nine. So it could end up anywhere in the forty to seventy dollar range, but that's still pretty good if you got in in the like fifteen to twenty five dollar range. Yeah, I agree. I agree with with that most. That basically that that's what it will do. Um, okay, next on our list is Coat of Arms. We are looking again at a seventh edition foil, supposedly going from a hundred to five hundred. Uh, <laughs> so congratulations if you owned any of these. I think I have a traditional Chinese foil. I'm gonna ask seven hundred for that because it's you know traditional. Um, th- really, there's the market price. <laughs> the market price is thirty three dollars. <laughs> like I, I guess I don't know. I mean, that's even lower than the hundred initially. Uh, there's one near mint foil available right now at 500. I know this is not a $500 foil, but it's also probably not a $35 foil. So, but it, I don't know where the hundred is coming from. I, I don't know where this card's supposed to be. It's probably like an maybe a 70 or $80 foil is my guess for a real price for this card. So I was assuming I mean, a lot of them. I was assuming there would be a ton of these over in Europe. We could go snatch up now, but there's actually only four and they're listed between 90 and 120 euros. Yeah, that suggests to me that this plateau may hold not anywhere near four or five hundred, but in the like seventy five to one fifty range seems reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like my on the lower end, I could see 50 to 60. Maybe that's just because I would consider like that's kind of my ceiling for what I would pay for it. Theoretically, like a hundred ish is possible, but I mean, even still, I mean, there's a lot of printings of coat of arms and there's there's even other foil copies. So this is really a wild seventh edition foil multiplier like yeah this is like worse than birds of paradise multiplier yeah and keep in mind i sold like a foil german near mint seismic assault which is a sweet looking card um that i picked up on on mkm for about 40 and flipped it for 80 a couple months later and was happy to get out at that price so i mean five and, and seismic assault has more interest Oh, shit. I'm going to step on that statement before I finish making it. Maybe because of Tribal's 
interest in EDH right now, Coat of Arms is actually the superior demand profile. So I'll back off that statement. But let's just say this. They're both 7th edition foil rares, and I sold one for like six or seven times less than what people are asking for this. So expect this to... I'll stick with my earlier statement, which is that this probably lands in the $70 to $150 range. My thought on that is, you're, I would completely agree that Coat of Arms has way more widespread appeal than Seismic Assault. But there are, uh, just gl- glancing at TCG Player, there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 printings of this card. Um, a co- you know, at least one, two, three, four of them are foil. So there's there's definitely wider demand profile, but there's a ton of copies relative to Seismic Assault. And the type of person who's going to go hunt down a seventh edition foil, like the guy playing Seismic Assault is probably trying to play it in his like pet combo deck where he might be willing to pay for this. But the guy who wants Coat of Arms, like the demand for that is just people playing, you know, cat 60 card cat decks, right? Like they don't need a $200 foil seventh edition coat of arms to play blade of the sixth tribe. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. Seventh edition foils, all bets are off. Have you seen birds of paradise, by the way, like take a guess at what the foil price on seventh edition foil birds is. Well, I would have said it was less than this. I would have guessed three, $400. Yeah. I, I don't think there are any on the market right now. Um, and I can double check that, but I'm pretty sure there are none of them. And even in Europe, they're like 400 euros. And I don't even know if those were near mint. Yeah, Dan Bach was putting a damaged one up, I think, for auction on one of the Facebook groups. So if anybody's interested, they might want to track that down. All oh, right, wow. so last last card of the week. Yeah, just uh, Simic Sky Squallower. Uh, but this is another one of those um, skip it. iconic this Masters is, cards. Skip it. Hmm? Silly, silly data. This is yeah. just bad data. data. We'll just call yeah. that call that a day and let's go get Todd. Yeah, and I will. And I'm just gonna make one last comment here. There are also a couple more reserve list cards that I just leave off because there's like six a week, and I don't want to talk about them. So they're out there if you care. Yeah, go go look them up. Um, I guess I will point out Wheel of Fate is uh is is moving moved slash moved. So that's probably one of the slightly more relevant ones because it's actually a useful card. It's not on any of the websites that track that data yet. It's kind of in process, but just so you guys know that it's out there, Wheel of Fate's kind of moving fortune i always get the two confused sorry was it wheel of fate or wheel of fortune the the reserved one reserved one the, wheel of fortune. yeah wheel of fortune's the old one right i always want to say fate but it's yeah, wheel of fate's fate. your suspend one Fate's the one i want to be <laughs> expensive <laughs> okay so let's move on to segment two our cards to watch we are now joined by uh star city leaderboard leader player man and uh parent fan of the show todd stevens welcome to the show todd hi thanks for having me on travis and james glad to be here congratulations on your run over there uh you know the amount you've got second place by is impressive <laughs> yeah i've had a very good beginning of the year um and hoping to uh, finish out strong and and uh, stay on top and finish first for the uh, year on the cg tour you know excellent you know i gotta say brother watching you fully commit you left your full-time job this year, right? Yes. Yeah, I was a high school teacher, a uh, math teacher, and, um, and yeah, uh, you know, at the school year, uh, I decided to leave that, and uh, this summer moved up to Roanoke, Virginia, and now I just produce content for Star City Games and stream uh, full-time now. That must feel good to be, like, right in the pocket, fully committed, all cylinders bursting, and be at the top of the heap. 
Oh yeah, no, it's. I, I really enjoy my new life. Uh, I really enjoy just playing <laughs> Magic full time and and doing this. And uh, you know, I, I will of course fall on my face at some point. You know, I'm not going to be number one leaderboard forever. And uh, you know, so hopefully I can bounce back whenever that happens. You know, so. But for now, I'm still just working hard and trying to do as well as I can at each tournament. It feels really good now, but it's going to feel even better when you realize you should just be streaming PUBG and you can get 20 times the viewers being be a quarter of good, as good as you are at Magic. <laughs> yeah, but then you have to do something else. Magic is so much fun. Yeah. And, and it shows like, you know, one of the reasons that I'm subscribed to your stream is, you know, you are a meticulous player when I watch you on camera at the tour, but... You know, in your streams, you're you're doing a lot of work, putting in a lot of time on some of these brews, right? Oh yeah, I love playing just fun decks and everything. Uh, I basically stream mostly mostly modern, like basically only modern. And yeah, I love just playing just weird brews. Uh, today I was just streaming, uh, playing um, Seance. Seance. Yeah, five color Seance. It was a lot <laughs> of fun. Um, went three. Two. Was it you? Are you the guy that tried to get channel that wanted to burn him? <laughs> no, that wasn't me. No, I was just playing a Zach Elsick deck, of course. You know, if there's fun decks around, it's probably has to do with Zach. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, he's a good friend from Texas, and saw he was playing that, and so I wanted to try it out too. It was a lot of fun. That yeah. is really cool. Yeah. Well, I I also want to say, uh, as someone who uh, whose sartorial characteristic has been noted in the past, that I appreciate the. Uh, attention to detail you put into your appearance on camera it has not gone unnoticed oh thank you yeah yeah i always try to like look my best i always i always enjoy uh you know looking my best and so that's what i that's what i want to do it's it's not uncomfortable to me to wear shirt and ties wear worn them you know a lot throughout my life so it's not uncomfortable to me and i i feel good you know and so like whenever you feel good you play good Yeah. yeah i'm with you on that one you know it helps you project to everyone else it's not even about what you what other people think it's like it makes you feel better which is all you really need out of it exactly exactly all right so let's let's have some fun now with the cards cards to watch we're going to go through our picks this week and then todd's got one for everybody um so my first pick this week is gideon of the trials the foils in particular are really drying up and i'm looking at this as a mid to long term timeline confidence level like a seven out of ten um, maybe an eight, given how low supply is getting. This is the Amaket Planeswalker that now gets the benefit potentially one day in modern of uh, there it being possible to have multiple Gideons in play at the same time. Um, buy price, you know, was a lot more attractive when I should have mentioned this to you guys when I started buying at twelve or thirteen bucks, but it, in mid late August. Um, but even at the current twenty five as a foil mythic, if it ever takes off in modern, it could easily hit fifty to sixty before a reprint. Yeah, but I really like this pick um, I, because I do think it is just an important card in modern that's going to be there for a long time. Um, it's not going to be reprinted anytime soon, um, except for I guess it was in that uh, the San Diego Comic Con, but you know that's we not really much supply. <laughs> um, but yeah, like um, um, not only uh, is it just a mainstay right now in blue eye control, it's been just a, a really good card there. But I think just any other kind of white-based control decks are just always going to have Gideon the Trials because three mana Planeswalkers are exactly what you want. Um, if a white-red prison kind of starts making a comeback, I could see that. Um, and I could see that happening with being able to play Gideon the Trials and Gideon Draw. Like being able to play both of those Gideons at the same time are, is just amazing for control decks. And um, I don't expect Gideon going anywhere. Uh, Saffron anymore. has been pushing this really hard on stream lately right like i saw him tweeting about it earlier today 
um, about how much he likes it. And he was getting some pushback from a couple other people. I think Ari Lax was giving him a hard time about it, but he seems pretty sold on it that it that it's very good. And with further tuning, the deck will be a, a real pain. And I mean, he it, he is correct that it does have the angle of just like essentially winning the game on turn three against some decks. Like you put it down and against like uh, what is it? I had nauseum and uh, maybe burn or something like that, and it's going to be like a nightmare for them to kill you through that. Yep. Yeah, I, I think it's a it's going to be a <clears throat> a modern staple and and uh, yeah, I like the pickup here. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned the SDCC copy because I saw I I double checked to see if that would create any drag, but the reality is that there's like four or five copies available on TCG Player right now, and they're at in and around fifty. Picking those up, expecting them to maybe hit a hundred on some kind of like camera time. I mean, all it really takes is Saturday morning at at the tour. <laughs> And and somebody breaks out their Gideon deck and wins a couple matches and boom, the last 10, 20 copies dry up. Yeah, not going to lie. Like, so Saffron's deck did look pretty interesting with the is just black, white Gideons. It definitely needs a lot of tuning. Uh, he has, you know, simply too many Gideons, you know, but there there really is something to black, white control just in general. Black, white has the answer, like has answers to basically any deck if your draws can line up well enough. Um it's you know similar to white red control control that but you know you don't have access to blood moon but then you have discard fatal push all that kind of stuff so honestly that's a deck I'm looking at and maybe playing uh, coming up at like one of the next opens I'm gonna I'm gonna look at that deck some more because um, just having access to so many Gideons means your control matchup is just really good and then uh, if you can figure out the aggro and combo and combo especially combo I could definitely see something being there with a uh, black white control. <laughs> And you know, just wait until Zach Alsek posts a list and then run with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's got me circling back on another card um, that people have been largely ignoring, which is Bantu's Last Reckoning Foils. Um, if I'm running a black-white Planeswalker list and it's got Fatal Pushes and Path to Exiles then, and probably a couple copies of Damnation or something, maybe I also want Bantu's Last Reckoning since I don't care about killing my own creatures and maybe I'm willing to take a turn off to wipe the board against aggro. Uh, I hate it. I, I don't think you can take a turn off. <laughs> I, I'd much rather just play Damn Nation. That's why you're here. Tendrils. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. I, yeah. I take, getting the wind taken out of my sails that hard as the pirates <laughs> are pulling into the cove is just about exactly what we were looking for today. What do you think about it? I hate it. <laughs> Todd, I have a question for you. We need you. more of this. Yeah. Do you call it the tour? Uh, like, yes. That's like, oh, tour? I'm on the tour this weekend. Yeah, but like, is that what you actually call it, like in casual conversation? You're like, oh, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm on the tour. Uh, no, well, I'd maybe say, no, I'd, I guess we never just, I never never said like just the tour, um, but I've always referred to it as like SEG tour. You hear a lot of people say like, uh, still some people will say like the open series, but of course it's not that anymore. Some people say circuit. No, I've never really liked that one, the SEG circuit. Uh, but no, I've always called it SEG tour. Like it, it right. that does just sound better than any of the other things people say, I think. I'm going to lobby that you make a push for just calling it the tour. It gives you, I feel like it gives a little bit of clout, right? And then you can say that like in a bar and people will be like, oh, wow, this guy's he's, he's gone on a tour this weekend. Oh, yeah, I'm on the tour this weekend. I mean, maybe someone will mistake, you know, you've got the shirt and tie thing. Maybe somebody will mistake you for so- someone in a band and you're going to, you know, that's going to be great. So the first I mean, thing that comes to my mind whenever I think of just the tour is like the PGA tour. Like it makes, it makes it seem like I'm going to the golf sure. course or something. Yeah. Sure. Good enough. <laughs> I mean, the thing is that the the pro tour only has four stops so i mean how much of a tour is four stops really so i mean we really do need a tour that's week to week that's yeah true. we need more pro tours the just tour. so they can call the tour yeah mm-hmm. all, all right. right so your first pick travis that you stole from me from five weeks ago but it's still awesome 
Yeah, we've actually got a lot of uh, stepping on each other's feet this week, which we'll see again a little later. But uh, I was just digging for some picks this week, kind of looking around, trying to decide what I liked. And uh, I I knew Cyclonic Rift was popular, but I forgot. You know, I know you talked about it, whatever, but I forgot (laughs) this card is in 50,000 EDH decks. 50,000 EDH decks on EDH rack. I'm like... Oh my god! Now I had mostly for mostly kind of like not been thinking about it because of the recent printing, but doubling back and looking at it, there are not that many foils left of this card. Um, you can grab them around thirteen to fourteen uh, for the EMA ones. I think Return the Ravnica is like eighteen still. Um, but you know the foil on Return the Ravnica is were definitely uh, a pretty rich vein up until the EMA printing. But with as supply as low it is as it is, and how popular this is, we just missed the chance for it to show up in IMA. Um, it feels like it would be a weird include in Masters 25, so I'm, I still think this is a very good pickup at 13 to 14 for foils. Well, it, first of all, it wasn't EMA; it was Modern Masters 2017, which was just last oh, spring. Just last spring, right? Was. So, okay. so it's actually impressive that the that the foils um, are you know still sitting around at all because we've had most of a year for people to get with it and understand that this is probably the most important EDH re, re, reprint of the year, um, and that because it was a master set, there really aren't that many of the foil rares sitting around. In fact, we've got less than 15 listings left on TCG and they run up pretty close to 20 pretty quick, but you can still get some copies under 15. So when I first mentioned this like several weeks ago in around 10 to 12, it was really great at 12 to 13, still good. Cause I think it goes back up to 25 or $30 once the supply drains. And I think it's very unlikely to show up anytime soon. Agreed. Yeah, so uh, Todd. I yeah, I love this pickup also. Um so I guess you said you mentioned it 5 weeks ago, James, but uh I I um I know you mentioned this before whenever Modern Masters first 17 first came out. This would have been a little bit before uh, Grand Prix San Antonio because I remember listening to that podcast and was like man Cyclone Crypt is a is just a great pickup here cuz because yeah, it is in 50,000 EDH decks. Like it's it's like the best card in EDH basically. Like it's got to be in every single blue deck. Yeah, well, it goes, like most... it goes soul, it goes soul ring. <laughs> yeah, I guess soul <laughs> which, which ring. could okay, eventually yeah. get banned, and then it goes cyclonic rift. Yeah, yeah, and so I remember that's one of the one of the cards that I have that I did pick up. I picked up like ten copies of the foils at at ten dollars nice. on uh, nice. SCG. Use some store credit that I got from like winning a classic <laughs> like the week before or something, and from the tour. Yeah, from, from the, tour. the tour. Yep. All right. Well. I- and just, you know, per MTG Fast Finance rules, the last person to pick it gets the credit when it eventually starts. <laughs> right now, I have taken Cyclonic Rift priority. <laughs> and, and you know Jason Elt's going to pop up and say that he mentioned it like 40 weeks before we did. Oh, yeah. Listen, I don't care what Guy Fieri says. I was the most recent. It's my credit. <laughs> All right. So so my next pick this week is uh, an important card uh, in the blue-white control decks that have ma- been making a run in mo- modern um, this year. Spellqueller Foils showed up uh, as a four of in the first and second place decks at the SCG Open Louisville Modern um, last weekend. And these foils are still available for under $15. You can get them at like 12 or 13, similar to Cyclonic Rift. And though it doesn't have the demand profile that Cyclonic Rift does, it is still a very key card. And if the fact that it just rotated didn't kill the price on these foils, then this is it's a clear signal you can get in. Oh, well, somebody didn't read my article from three days ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I, had the, I had the exact same card written down. Um, 
it's an awesome pickup. It's, I feel like this is, and I'm waiting for Todd to just go, no, you're stupid. But I feel like this is going to be very, is is well positioned in modern and will be going forward because it does what control decks in modern want to do is it's very good at disrupting your opponent as a control card, but it also gives you an evasive body to finish them off with, because I feel like control has had the problem in modern where, um, a lot of times you can take temporary control of the game, but you can't finish your opponent fast enough some of the times. So Spell Queller being able to chip in the air really, uh, you know, is a very versatile card and doesn't give them time to draw back into their combo or something else. Yeah, no, I I, I like it. Uh, I think it's also just um, a r- really good card in uh, re- the uh, Bant Retreat to Coral Home decks, the Bant Nightfall right, decks. Right, right, right. Um, I think it's perfect there too. So no, it's a very good card. The kind of the problem with Spell Queller is it is a very good modern card, but it's not really an EDH card at all. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, So that that's that's kind of one problem. You know, you don't really have the demand there, but still, it is it is just a a great uh, modern card. Um, All right. So so I'm glad you're listening. And there's a lot of Eldritch Moon. Like, there's just a lot of really good Eldritch Moon cards. What do you guys think of like Eldritch Moon foil sets? If it's like looks like it's like Magic Online, you could get it for $200 for a set. You got Liliana, The Last Hope, Grim Flare, Emrakul, The Promised End, Collective Brutality, Spell Queller, uh, Selfless Spirit. What do you all think of Eldritch Moon foil sets? Oh, that that I feel like that's really tough to answer without being able to put all the numbers in front of me and just add it up, right? Mm-hmm. Like $200 is essentially, it could be any number because I don't know what all those cards look like on the market combined as it is um but really it's just, it's just a question of the math like i mean if you're getting a 10 or 20 percent discount uh, in or because you're buying all the junky foils it, it might be worth it if the value is concentrated very heavily in the top um if it's distributed more if you're paying two or three dollars for foil commons that you'll never be able to get rid of or on commons i like it a little bit less but you know it really just depends on how the $200 stacks up against the actual value of the cards. Some of this may depend on which flip cards show up in FTV flip later this year and how many of them are sourced from, from Eldritch Moon. Dawson to Perfection is one possibility. Oh, I bet Gisela, um, I'm sure Gisela's in there. Uh, yeah. Like the, Both have. Yeah, the Gisela Bruna thing. I, I guarantee that's in there because you get... Yeah, you get that. Yeah, it's, 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 <laughs> it's going to be a weird FTV set, but I mean the... One of the other things that's interesting there is that um, Emrakul, I think, would if it wasn't tainted from being booted at a standard, would be likely to excel. The foils would accelerate faster. Um, there's just people have a bad taste in their mouth from having like hat owned copies that were suddenly worth a lot less, and I think that that holds a card back when rotation comes around. And when the reality is that card is still super duper good. <laughs> in casual ramp eldrazi style builds um kitchen table demand should be there in the long term some edh demand probably as well yeah and um, some modern demand i've definitely played that card in modern some in like uh in like bug uh delirium decks it's a it's a really good finisher like because you can get mm-hmm. uh delirium pretty fast like in modern wait yeah. what's the, what's the green enchantment i was brewing with last year that i'm almost certain i saw you playing recently todd the one that flips eldrazi off the top and casts them for free wait Flips all, it's an enchantment? Uh, yeah. Yes, it's the one that Therese Nielsen did the art yeah. for. And like oh, Resident um, Descendants, Descendants Path? Descendants. Yeah, Descendants Path. Descendants yeah, Path. that art yeah. is amazing. Did, did I see you playing that recently on stream? Uh, I no, actually, I, I haven't played that. Oh, so, so somebody else, some other streamer was was running it, and I was thinking, oh, you got to play with that with Eldrazi. That's where it gets really good. Very nice. Because you get the cast triggers. 
Yeah, that was the thing when Descendants Path came out. You made the Eldrazi spawn t- uh, tokens with like Nest Invader, and then you cast Emrakul for free the next turn. Yeah. Um, All right. Also, I appreciate Todd listening to our cast, but if he's going to come on here and throw our own advice back in our face and be like, oh, but there's no modern demand, well, then maybe. Uh... <laughs> Fair, <laughs> well, so... it was nice to have you. <laughs> so I think it's it. I think it's interesting that Jeskai Control, this is basically the same build I built like 14 months ago and basically got laughed out of my local modern tournament. Like, what are you doing? You can't run that deck. And now here we are in a meta where it seems fully supported. And you also have eight rack coming out of the woodwork. We've seen a number of different eight rack showings. I think uh, Tom the Boss Ross was running eight rack at one point, right? He was kind of a, a signature deck for him at various points. Um, and we've got a white black Eldrazi uh, build in modern, finishing seventh in that tournament. Um, Did you just jump segments here, James? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a little. <laughs> I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let me back up the truck. Travis, tell me about your next pick. <laughs> yeah, all right. My next pick is still in the same vein as the last one. Uh, I was just kind of mining EDH top cards. Uh, Phyrexian Arena is the second most played black spell in EDH. Um, it just saw a reprinting, and since I got the last one wrong, let me make sure that I get the set right. Uh, Conspiracy Take the Crown, um, so fairly recently. Uh, foils of the Conspiracy 2 version are about $15 right now. Every other foil copy of Frustrating Arena starts at $35 and goes up from there. So, uh, there, you know, I feel like Conspiracy 2 probably wasn't open that much. These kind of summer weird draft sets, and I, I, this is the same thing we're going to see with the Unset as well, is everyone gets together, drafts at once, and then basically uh, doesn't bother again. So you don't see too much product opened. Um, you know, it's in most black decks... The foil is $20 behind every other foil. You know, give it six months to a year, and I'm pretty sure it's right back up there. Yeah, overall, this is a pretty solid pick. I don't like it as much as the Cyclonic Rift. Um, basically, I think this card has a lot more reprint risk, and I could just see them printing Phyrexian Arenas just more and more. It's, you know, they've already printed a lot. Like, this is a card that I could definitely see being in Masters 20s or whatever, the Masters 25. 25th. Yeah. yeah. I could I could definitely see this being in there. Uh, this seems like a good master's card. Um, the yeah, I mean that's that's totally fair. Like then the reprint risk you always have to keep your eye on. And if it's if we're talking about a card that you expect to see reprinted in EDH set, you don't worry about if you're and you're talking about foils, you don't have to worry about it. But you're correct that if we're talking about masters, and you do run that risk. So that's fair. Yeah, the art's pretty cool for the new one. Um, I could. I know like that people haven't really liked the, just like the printing for the conspiracy cards, but um, I think the art's better than like the eighth edition, ninth edition. There aren't, yeah. there just aren't that many foils and overall for this card and for um, yeah, for how much it sees play, it's still it's still a solid pickup. And Todd, like the Todd, if we're talking yeah. about reprint risk, um, do you think Phyrexian Arena is too good for standard? Uh, probably. So I guess the last time that we saw a card like that was like what underworld connections was kind of like, uh, Phyrexian arena, but you had to use it like your land every turn, but then you could also yeah, shut yeah. it off, I guess. Um, I well, no, I could see it being in there. You'd have to need some enchantment hate, but, uh, no, I don't think it's too good for standard. Cause where it's, I could, where I could see this popping up isn't actually in 25th. Um, I could see that it, it showing up in the Return to Dominaria sets where Phyrexians might end up being the bad guys. Yeah, I could definitely see that too. How we're going to start having core sets again in Standard. And and like it could be in like another core set. It could be the Return to Dominaria. Yeah, there's a lot of places where this could show up. 
Wow. Okay. So just take a dump all over my face, whatever. Uh, <laughs> no. Well, well. here's the thing, though. It's in 35,000 EDH decks. Yeah. So yeah. I don't even hate this. Like, I just got burned on a very similar pick. Supreme Verdict shows up in yeah. Iconic Masters, and I'm holding a bunch of foils that I literally just bought. Um, but I don't care because I'm just going to buy more. <laughs> Supreme Verdict is still the best sweeper in EDH. Um, now that it's just seen a reprint or is about to in two months, I'm gonna. This makes it a longer range spec. I'm gonna have to hold for maybe a year, year and a half, but I'm gonna get another chance to get in on a low, lower entry point, get a better dollar cost averaging amongst all the copies. And you know, it's a bit of a failed spec short term, but mid to long, it's it's not going anywhere. I don't think we're gonna get a better Supreme Verdict anytime soon, right, Todd? No, there's no way that they they print any card that's better than Supreme Verdict, probably ever. I was kind of wondering, I'm like, it's hard to say never, but it does seem like that would be really difficult to improve upon at any point in standard. Yeah. I mean, they already had to do like um, mana cost gymnastics to make that work at four mana, right? And even then it was fairly oppressive yeah. in, the, in the environment in standard when it was present. Todd, you like the art on the new Frexian Arena more than the eighth and ninth ones? Yeah, I think so. The, I don't, the eighth and ninth ones always kind of seem... A little cheesy to me but the thing is is you know on the computer screen it looks kind of good this is the like this is the kind of card where it could look like really dark if you're looking at the actual card you know like yeah. i could see it just like you know just being too dark to kind of see what's going on and everything if you're looking at an actual card instead of like the image on the computer yeah i think that was my impression too is the new one is kind of dark right like it blends in especially against the black border too mm-hmm um, okay, well, enough about rambling about Frexian Arena. James, what is your next pick? So, I don't know if you gave us a target there. You said you you were looking to buy in around 15 and get off the train over 30? Yeah, I said that at the start. It was, you know, you can get them at 15 right now, and all the other ones are 35 plus. You know, the Got foils it. start at 35, so that's a pretty pretty reasonable range for it. All right, my final pick this week is Obelisk of Erd Foils from uh, M15, I believe. Short to midterm pick. It's a tribal card that uh, lets you use Convoke to get a strong plus two, plus two buff for your tribe down on the battlefield. Foil supply is very low. You can get them in and around seven, eight, nine dollars depending on where you're looking. And I think it's going to end up in the 15 to 20 dollar range before it sees a reprint. Okay. I don't think that's bad at all. Uh, I mean, all these tribal cards have been really doing very well lately and again remember the product's only been on the shelf for what three weeks maybe um not even a month and you know we saw traxa and uh brea cards moving months later so we're still definitely at the very start of uh tribal cards gaining in popularity and with ixalan bringing four more tribes especially dinosaurs um you know probably going to push a lot of people to build some cool we're at least going to try it. I, I like all of these tribal cards that haven't completely exploded already. And the thing about this one is you can't throw it in any old set. You need to have a Convoke sub-theme, right? And that's not going to be high on the priority list. Yeah. So why don't you like it, Todd? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't I don't know too much about this card. Uh, you know, this would mm-hmm. is definitely the more casual type card. But uh, there's a good point that the um, commander sets that are coming out this fall i guess we're already in the fall now or no today's the last day of summer i think anyway uh that as i digress but um yeah there's gonna be a lot more uh tribal stuff just going on in magic and yeah so i could definitely see this being a good pickup the thing i like about the the like colorless tribal cards is that it 
the tribe you're betting will do well doesn't need to crack the top 20 in EDH if it's colorless. This kind of card can go in any of the tribal decks that have... I mean, it's probably not that great in dragons because the Convoke doesn't really help if you're just running a bunch of big stuff. But in all of the like small to mid-range tribal decks, like you know Merfolk and Vampires and Goblins and whatever, Obelisk Avert is kind of an auto-include. And so few foils lying around Convoke gives it some protection insulation against reprint risk and you know it's the kind of thing that i think you know you only need 10 15 20 players globally to clean out the foil market uh yeah probably that sounds about right all right um todd you uh you were kind enough to bring your own pick of the week here i think you're the first guest to do that we appreciate it that why don't you hit us with it all right so my pick of the week is actually uh everybody's favorite planeswalker the planeswalker everybody uh read and right away knew this is going to be a star this is the one it's sam tybalt the tested oh also kind of known as tybalt version two yeah <laughs> so yeah so sam the tested was just from last set our devastation and uh obviously looking at this card it doesn't look like it's good enough for constructed play at all but I actually think it has a very good home in the dinosaur decks that are going to be appearing uh, now with Ixalan coming out. I think it's just a, a perfect uh, mid-range threat in those decks. So what it does there, um, so we have two abilities. The plus one says up to one target creature gains double strike until in a turn. Now when you have some huge dinosaurs, give, giving those double strike means that like your opponents basically puts your opponents in the abyss. And if those dinosaurs have trample, like say Carnage Tyrant, and they can't even respond by killing the Carnage Tyrant because it has Hexproof. That's uh, pretty nice. Um, that's a lot of damage. Yeah, that's just so much damage. The minus two, which you know only dealt two damage divided as you choose among two target creatures or players. Now that you know that didn't seem like it was good enough to kill anything, and you're paying four mana for a Forked Bolt. Like that's not good enough. But when you have Ripjaw Raptor sitting around, or maybe. Um, there's the two, three that lets you rampant growth whenever you get dealt damage. So you can be, you can use that, to minus two to sometimes kill things like maybe from, uh, like Ramanop red, they have like the smaller creatures, or you can draw cards when you have Ripjaw Raptor out or maybe rampant growth. Um, so I think it actually, uh, both the plus and the minus ability are very good in the dinosaur deck. Like I think they, it's almost like they built the dinosaurs around this Sam at the tested and, you know, like right now, it's only like a three dollar card. Um, I could see picking it up like around three, three fifty, and I could see it maybe even hitting double digits. But you know, maybe uh, like eight, nine, ten dollars. Um, once people start to realize it, it's actually really good in the dinosaur deck. The dinosaur so, deck is also just like a perfect uh, um, casual deck that you know you're gonna have lots of players playing it uh, at F and M's just throughout the country. It's probably gonna be like the most one of the most popular standard decks uh, at FNMs, and so people are going to want their same at the Testeds. All right, so I got two two questions for you to break down um, why Samet gets there. The first one is, I, I noticed that you played Dinosaurs on stream against uh, Brad Nelson, if I'm not mistaken, earlier mm-hmm. this week. He was playing the Pirates deck, right? Yeah. Did you feel like uh, the Dinosaur deck had what it takes to make standard, and do you have, like, did you notice tunings that were going to be required after you'd played a few games with it yeah yep definitely noticed tunings um that were required and uh i do think it is standard playable so i've been playing some more with it and i actually recorded another uh 
video against Brad Nelson for next week where he played the dinosaur deck and his deck looked a little better than mine because you know we just had more cards and everything right. um but no it actually it actually does seem very powerful and I think it could actually end up being able to race Ramanop Red because it looks to be right. just an incredibly fast deck um which is kind of weird yep. so you, you have like eight mana creatures on turn two uh Drover the Mighty and oh Opatic or Otepic Huntmaster, something like that. And the Huntmaster is the best one. But if your mana creatures survive, which obviously is a big question, um, the turn three, four, and five in the deck are are pretty insane for you being able to play dinosaurs and give them haste with the Huntmaster, and you can really crash in for a lot of damage. Right. So Otepic Huntmaster think- is the one two for one and a red dinosaur spells you cast cost one less to cast and you can give dinosaurs haste on a tap. Mm-hmm. Do you like Ranging Raptors, the three mana two three that rampant growths when you enrage? Because when I saw that, that seemed like a pretty good one and one of the better cards to kind of set up the enrage on Samet. I was just curious if you also thought it was decent. Yeah, so I had that in my deck. I thought it would, you know, I thought it'd be pretty good. I think it's good against. I think it's good in two things. I think it's good against mono red, and it's good with Samet. Besides that, I don't think it's very good. So I think overall, it's probably not going to be able to make it because there are some just other good three drops. Um, there's the new, the, like one of the last cards they previewed was a death gorge scavenger, which I think is probably going to be a better card overall for the three drop slot. Cause you're not going to want a lot of three drops or your three drops are maybe going to be stuff like sweltering suns to be able to clean up their creatures or you're mostly going to want to go from two to, and then four plus four five and six. Mm-hmm. Does, that does, makes sense. Does the availability of lightning strike make a di- big difference for a green red mid- mid-range deck in standard right now? Oh, that's that's true too. Light, yeah, lightning strike's a a very good removal spell just just for the deck. Lightning strike's just such a good card. Hey, you get the rampant growth if they lightning strike your raptor. Yeah, so that's why that's why that two three is quite good against red, but um, against stuff like. Uh, pirates or even teamer they can just let it sit there and, and go over it against decks that can yeah. just let it sit there it's not going to be very good yeah. so so how many you. how many carnage tyrants do you think that deck runs um honestly not as many as everybody thinks probably so carnage tyrant Car- uh, carnage tyrant is definitely very good with sam at the tested because giving a, a carnage tyrant double strike is is pretty insane great, great. if you have any if yep. you have either the hunt master or the register alpha out where you can give it haste also it's pretty incredible but um uh what we're gonna actually talk about with my underrated cards later i think it may be more of a sideboard card because i think main deck you actually may be wanting to play burning sun's avatars more because burning sun's hmm. avatar is actually turned it's like it looks like a really really good card from the games i've been playing with the uh, dinosaurs Interesting. so bad sun titan is, or bad inferno titan is still good enough for standard i guess yeah basically because you get to you get to searing blaze when it comes into play and then again if you have there's lots of ways to give your dinosaurs haste so it can be a lot of damage out of nowhere that you just have a six six haste that deals three to them and clears out their blocker and yeah it's it's pretty scary okay i i like samet so so how many cop the key question though when i'm trying to pick a mythic to invest in for standard because it's so easy for that to go wrong these days um how many copies do you think the dinosaurs run of salmon? So, it, I could definitely see it up to four. I could, I could see it being four, where your four drops are just Ripjaw Raptor, Sam at the Tested, and then your fives are 
like the four regisor alpha and then your sixes are some combination of four probably like four copies total of carnage tyrants and uh burning sun's avatars like some combination of that so i could see that being your top end like eight four drops and then four five drops and four six drops so i could i could see going up to four salmon so then you know your uh, earlier stuff are just like your mana creatures and removal like magma spray is going to be such an important card in this uh, standard format being able to clear out the uh, mana creatures from dinosaurs plus all the mono early mono red stuff and everything so cards like magma spray are gonna be so important but i could see i could see that being just the top end for samet for ripjaw raptor and then like four five drops and four six drops all right all right so i mean if that's true and it set, posts up as one of the you know top five decks in the format. Then Samet pretty easily can get to eight to ten dollars from the three three fifty it's available at now, right? I think so. Cool. You've got me convinced. I'm picking up like sixteen copies locally at a dollar fifty each while we're wrapping up here. Dollar fifty Canadian too. That's really no, funny. no, that's a dollar fifty US. I already did the uh, the conversion okay. for you. Okay. Well, Todd, I like your pick. Um, yep. Awesome. Okay. Let's uh, let's hop in the metagame th- segment three metagame week in review. We're going to touch on the St. Louis Open that was modern this past weekend. Looks like we've got a pair of Jeskai control decks in the top two. Uh, rounds out with Jund, eight rack, uh, some more blue red gift storm, five color shadow, uh, white black Aldrazi taxes, and some Grixis text shadow. Uh, Todd, you are our guest. Is there anything here that kind of jumped out at you or that, that you feel worth commenting on? Yeah, so um, plenty of stuff. So up at the top, we had Jeskai Control 1 and 2. Um, and playing leagues online these days, um, it's control decks are just kind of everywhere. You know, there's that meme that a lot, love, a lot of people love is uh, Control and Modern. You can't do that. But I, I've been saying the Control has been good and Modern for the last couple of months, like on my articles in Star City Games. And... And finally, it's starting to show. I, I really do think these control decks are pretty good. Um, uh, one of the, like the biggest decks to fight them is Eldrazi Tron, but Eldrazi Tron is being pushed out of the format by um, by Scapeshift, Affinity, some other decks that Jeskai Control just really preys on. So it was a great weekend for Jeskai Control and uh, did real well. Um, kind of the same uh theories like jund is kind of making a comeback also um both jeskai control and jund have very good gift storms matchups which were which was a real popular deck um so is, is gift some- is gift storm the best deck in modern right now um it's the most it's like the scariest deck you know it's the one that if you don't have if your turn like one and two can't interact with them and they're on the play you're probably dead um, it's definitely the scariest deck, and it can even win out of nowhere. I played against Giftstorm yesterday, where I had Eidolon of Rhetoric, Avon Mind Sensor, and a bunch of creatures out, and they had zero lands and just a Baral. And I was like, "Okay, go!" And they just since they had zero lands, but they still could cast Dismember with Baral. Dismembered my Eidolon, untapped, played a land, started playing a bunch of rituals. Like uh, grape shotted to kill my even mind sensor, then started playing gifts Ungiven and and just killed me. And I was just like, "How did I die?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm turn off nothing. the stream here. Go outside. Uh, <laughs> yeah, play in a field. So, so does 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 opt make that deck? 
I think so. I think they're just in in the uh, in the market for more cantrips now. I think Op makes that deck, but I don't think Op makes basically any other deck. Um, I don't think really. I thought Opt was gonna like smash into modern. No, I don't think so. I don't think like I think it's just worse than Serum Vision most of the time. Like okay, so turn one Serum Vision's a much stronger play. Turn one, so where you'd really the strength of Opt would be the ability to flash it back really with Snapcaster at instant speed. If you're holding up Snapcaster plus like a removal spell or something, and your opponent doesn't do anything, you can play your Snapcaster and Opt. That's about the only reason why you'd want opt over uh, Serum Vision to begin with, and mostly for those those Snapcaster decks. I think Thought Scour is going to be kind of a, just a stronger card for them in general um, to be able to put cards in their graveyard for Snapcaster, or if it's like Grixis Shadow with Delve Threats and everything. Right. So I don't. Th- I think it's going to see about the same or probably less play than Thought Scour, kind of in general. Um, they kind of go in different decks, but. Uh, I, yeah, I don't. I think it's basically about Storm, and there's probably like some other ones like that. I don't think it's really. It could be maybe Control, but it, that's about the play it's going to see. Is about like how much play Thought Thought Scour sees. Okay, interesting. If you say so. So um, one other card I wanted to get your opinion on, Todd. Uh, I noticed the five color Death Shadows build. Um, still seeing four copies of Traverse the Ilvenwald. Do you like those foils under fifteen? Hmm, under fifteen. I, I was hoping like we could get that foil for around like the five to eight range. Um, I guess it, maybe it's not that cheap though. But um, Traverse is going to be. Hmm. I I do like uh, like there's. Hmm. How do I? <laughs> so it's, it's so the good card. news. The, the good news is you can have it at your desired price. There are copies as low as seven fifty on TCG right now. Something like forty listings. Okay. Um, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. See, I like it at that price. Um, I could see, I could see it being a twenty dollars foil in you know about twelve months. Um, I think uh, Abzan Traverse decks and just Bug Traverse decks. There's there's a lot of different decks that can play Traverse uh, besides just traditional Death Shadow decks. And um, those kind of decks though are extremely hard to tune. Like they're they're the kind of decks that you really have to work a lot to try to figure out the best. Uh, like list, and then even when you do, like it's a good chance you you get it wrong. It's those are the kind of decks that you have to put in so much work to try to figure out like the exact seventy five. Um, but the other thing is they're a lot of fun to play because your games are always different. You have like a ton of different targets. You can you know traverse for whatever creatures you need. Like being able to tra- traverse for like Snapcaster Mage and then Snapcaster cast your traverse again go find eternal witness like you can do some <laughs> pretty ridiculous stuff with it yeah i mean you know what i like about this it's a single mana demonic tutor oh yeah no yeah so i i don't see them printing anything as good as traverse in a while and i don't see them reprinting it in a while and so yeah i really think it could be like a 20 dollar foil pretty soon so if you can get in around that 758 dollar range i like that one monodemonic tutor is a little, <laughs> a little excited, but I get that, where you're going. It's not quite that, quite that simple. But the thing is that in the decks that can abuse it, it almost oh, is. Oh sure, it almost sure, is sure, right yeah. because when you're using things like Thought Scour or, or whatever to get a bunch of stuff into your graveyard early, and the Death Shadows deck decks typically want to be doing that. And the fact that you know what else makes me feel good about this card is that they just reprinted Mishra's Bauble in Iconic Masters, or is forthcoming for a reprint, which means they're probably not going to ban it anytime soon. It won't be one of the token bans leading into the modern Pro Tour event next year. 
Yeah, that's actually a really good point is Bobble's price was ludicrous and probably kept a lot of people out of decks that would want Traverse um, who would otherwise play it because they're like, I'm not spending $60 on, a piece on Mishra's Bobbles when I know it's going to show up again eventually and I can get them for cheaper. Um, so you might actually unlock a lot of players who start showing up with Traverse because Mishra's Bobble isn't insane anymore. Yeah, and Traverse, is, Traverse was getting closer to 20 um when it was still getting seeing some reasonable standard play but now that it's just gone through rotation like some people have dumped their copies and it's about the first 20 copies or so you can get under 12 bucks and then after that it starts to peak pretty quickly that's usually a situation where i like to move fast um there's also the fact that on edh.rec there's almost 4,000 decks that are using the card so there's multi-format demand that's always nice hmm yeah that that, okay. that is good edh card for sure yep um, it's it's a powerful EDH card. It's not a good EDH card because playing tutors in EDH makes you a jerk. But uh, <laughs> uh, so, so Todd is, is is modern in a good spot right now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, modern's in a wonderful spot. Um, it's you see the ebb and flows of the of the meta game. You know, um, uh, a month and a half ago it was Death Shadow everywhere, and then it was Affinity. Uh, you know, and then like and then Eldrazi Tronio made it that little. Uh, resurgence there but then then we had that, uh, storm scape shift now we have control yeah. it just and then that just dude in the, in the nice tie was kicking ass with something called value town <laughs> heck yeah so yeah i don't think uh i would not be worried whatsoever about any kind of bannings in 2016 i think uh i would i'd be completely shocked if any card whatsoever was banned in modern in 2016 uh same with unbanned i just don't think i think there's <laughs> like so many people online like you know, ask for all these bannings and unbannings and everything, but I just don't think the format can get really better. And I just don't really feel like Wizards of the Coast is incentivized to do anything. Like, like sure, we could have Bloodbraid Elf unbanned, and it's probably safe, but it's also like, what's the point? Like, why would we even have that anyway? Like, wh- why? Like, we don't need it. Like, the format's sure. just fine. Um, yep. Whenever Feels it like was banned, I don't think I don't think Colligan's command was printed when it was banned. I think Colligan's command was printed after that, and that could be, you know, playing that into Colligan's command could be pretty rough. Or Liliana the Veil, or you just put it in. You just make John Death Shadows decks again, and you just play that, and then get a Death Shadow and stuff. And I don't know. I don't think. I just don't think there needs to be anything banned or unbanned. As far as the Pro Tour next year, there could be something banned before it, but I don't think so. I think they. Uh, like they've kind of said that that was a mistake for like just wanting to shake up formats before the pro tour. I could, I think the most likely time anything's banned or unbanned would be uh, probably after the pro tour. If the metagame gets too, yeah, gets, gets kind of solved or whatever, or, you know, too stagnant then that's the first I could see, but yeah, I, I don't see anything banned or unbanned in the foreseeable future at all. Got it. All right, so let's move on to our final segment, try to plow through a whole bunch of information in our Ixalan financial preview. This is a segment where we're going to lean heavily on Todd's competitive skills, his brewer's instincts, and we're going to discuss the the state of uh, the cards that are the highest price right now from Ixalan, um, talk about some underrated standard cards according to Todd. We're going to look at the top cards for modern, and I think this set, if I'm... You know, I'm going to go out and, and try to define this conversation. I think this is more of an EDH set than it is anything else. Yeah, that's also kind of been like the last like 
20 sets you know like that's like the <laughs> last, say, like, last two years any set that's been like yeah like every single set's been a more of an edh set than anything else yeah, I mean, we're certainly we've certainly seen the pattern in MTG Finance this year that, you know, where we used to the bread and butter of MTG Finance used to be standard and modern. Now it's, you know, a little bit of modern here and there, a little bit of casual, a little bit of collector and a lot of EDH with, you know, the part of the problem with standard of the last year, of course, being the multiple bannings and people being upset with the format and the retreat from the format. So I guess one of the questions, Todd, is do you feel like this standard is going to be exciting and interesting enough to bring people back into the fold? I sure hope so. I mean, I think it will be, but it, you know, it's hard to bring people back. You know, once people leave, it's hard to bring them back. Um, but yeah, the last the last year was pretty bad for standard. But uh, we saw the after Aetherworks Marvel was banned, standard was really fun and exciting. Everybody loved it. And I think moving from there and uh getting rid of like battle for zendikar which was kind of a mistake and and some of that stuff and now just adding in dinosaurs and pirates i can't remember uh like this seems like the best standard since like theros block basically gotcha so let's let's high praise let's let's start off by reviewing the cards with the highest price from ixalan um this is of course pre-orders only the set is not out yet we're heading into pre-release weekend this weekend right um, so these are cards that people will, will want to be figuring out should they sell out and get back in later. Um, uh, Travis, I think we have a long-standing policy that the answer is almost always yes, right? Uh, yes, yeah. Essentially, I mean, you have to be, you have to call where the lightning is going to strike, basically, uh, in order for that not to be the case. So let's talk about the, the five cards that are currently the most expensive. Todd, can you guess what number one is? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Looking at the sheet are. in front of you, can you guess what number <laughs> one is? <laughs> Was it obvious to you? Oh, yeah. Carnage Tyrant. Now, okay. So Carnage Tyrant is still listed at $15 on SEG because when they're sold out, they don't raise their price. Right. So, right. I, so I remember looking at like some prices earlier today and I saw that and I was like, oh, wow, went up from 10. You know, 15, that's still kind of a lot. Looking at TCG Player right now, the cheapest you can find it is $30. $30. <laughs> Yeah, so that uh, that seems ambitious, time. right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's never going to be higher than thirty dollars. So, kind of the problem though is, you know, obviously this is a sell. You know, like if you open this up a pre-release, you know, you're going to want to sell it. But then if you want to play dinosaurs in standard, it's like if you sell it, maybe you get you know ten to fifteen for it, and then you have to try to buy back in, and you know that's that's always kind of hard if if you need to play the card. But if you if you don't need to play the card right away, just and you open it, try to trade it away for other cards for sure. Yeah, I mean, I still have this question in the back of my mind as to whether the Remnant Red Decks and maybe some version of Mardu Vehicles is going to just be too fast for Carnage Tyrant, and it's going to end up as, you know, less than a four of in a single deck. And if that's the case, I don't want to be anywhere near this card over $10. I think, so I, I could see it being less than a four of in, in uh, Dinosaurs, but I think the likely call is it that it is a four of in dinosaurs you know i think it'd be you know more than likely it is a four of there and i could definitely see it being like a two of in like teamer energy to like fight control also interesting so i think it's probably and like you know if there's like black green decks they're probably playing two. It, it's probably like a two of of like the green mid-range decks like in their sideboard and it's probably a four of in dinosaurs but still even then like that's not enough play for it to be this expensive it is hard to imagine that if you're going through all the work of playing a dino deck that you would want to play the most of your payoff that you could, right? 
Like, I mean, I know that that's not always the case, but it does seem like if you're going through all the work, you, you want to be able to, you want as many Carnage Tyrants as you can get. My, yeah, my question true. was just whether the ramp was creature-based and therefore dependent on dodging removal spells in the early game and that they might get wiped out by Ramanop Red before they even get to six mana. Yeah, no, this card is not good at all against Ramanop Red, which is probably going to be the most uh, played deck at the beginning of the format. So that's that's a problem. Like That's why this. That's why I think this <laughs> right. is, you know, could be just only a couple copies main, couple copies sideboard. Right. Stuff Todd, like I have a question about that. Um, because I, you know, I've been reading some of the articles, uh, especially the last couple of days so that I don't feel completely, uh, clueless speaking to you about all of this. Um, but I see that people keep talking about Ramon up red as sort of like uh, the deck to beat or a deck to beat heading into a new standard. But when I look at current standard result, it doesn't look like it's the last pro tour Ramon up red was obviously just dominated uh to a ridiculous extent but it just standard doesn't look like that today right like it's a good deck but it doesn't seem like it's crushing standard so is there any particular reason that everyone is so clearly concerned about Ramon up red come uh october other than the fact that it's just a another linear, an existing linear deck, like is there a reason Ramen Up Red is better positioned than Teamer Energy? Basically, um, no, I think Teamer Energy is right there with it. So I think they're like one, one and two, like one A, one B. Um, but Ramen Up Red, what I think what people are concerned is that it didn't lose anything uh, at all. Um, like like the cards that it lost were re- replaced. Like it gained Lightning Strike, which is a, a big gain. Um, and uh, and so like basically every other deck lost stuff and and this deck didn't lose anything. The other thing is at the beginning of formats, most every mid range control deck is not built optimally, and a fast linear deck is going to take advantage of that. Um, and then thirdly, ha- their their best card, Hazard at the Fervent, has gotten even better with the uh, removal of um, Grasp of Darkness from the format. And there isn't, there really isn't very many good answers at all. Uh, both Grasp of Darkness, Declaration in Stone, and then I guess also Stasis Nair, all uh, Blessed Alliance, also all the ways to get rid of um, Hazard under four mana have basically gone away. It looks like. We're looking at four mana stuff like Settle the Wreckage, Vraska's Contempt, Cast Out um, as like the real answers. And so uh, their deck is just looking uh, very powerful and very easy to build to start the standard season. Okay, now that's the type of insight that's tricky for someone like myself to catch is the, oh, well, the only good answers under four mana are gone, which, you know, you really have to have a good feel for the card pool in order to kind of catch that, which I certainly didn't. I feel like, you know, we've seen a lot of these red, you know, aggro decks um, do well in standard over, say, the last five years. It's happened at least three or four times um, where for a while, you know, red decks were kind of off the scene completely and then they came back with a vengeance. But one of the things that really stands out about this deck is its namesake card, right? Ramanop Ruins being colorless damage in the late game, sacking deserts to get the, you know, get the last four, two to four points in is huge, right? Oh, yeah, that's that's what made the deck because... It, the deck really didn't show up until Hour of Devastation, and all they gained from Hour of Devastation was um, Ramanop Ruins um, and uh, Earthshaker Kenra. So Earthshaker Kenra gave them just a two-drop that was just amazing early and gave them a, another threat late. Um, 
And so, yeah, so still having access to those. But yeah, that, that just shows how good Romanoff Ruins actually was, that it basically made the deck. It gave the deck the reach that it needed. Now Lightning Strike's going to give it even more reach, too. Right. So so here's another uh, a factor we should figure into our evaluations of Ixalan, which is a little unique versus some of the, well, all of the, the sets in the last 18 months. There are no masterpieces in this set. Yeah, that's true. So, that's a good point. That's going to so really uh, raise up the prices that we're not really used to. Right. So, I mean, for years, rares, you know, good rares and standard, when standard was popular, could easily hit 10 to $15. Then we introduced Mythics, and then we introduced um, Masterpieces. And um, the, the other thing with this set is not only are there no Masterpieces that add some EV back into the rares and Mythics, but I think we can all agree there are very few exciting Mythics. Certainly not many that are going to be four ofs. Well, I mean, beyond Carnage, Tyrant, what what other mythic is on your radar as a potential four of in standard? Uh, definitely Jace Cunning Castaway. I think that card's okay. pretty good. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jace is pretty good. Um, but yeah, besides that, it's mostly all rare driven. Um, the other thing to kind of note about this is not only that there's no masterpieces, but let's let's go back to the last set that there were no masterpieces. That was Eldritch Moon and Shadows Over Innistrad. But yep. what those had, they had the transform cards. Like you could still open a pack with a Archangel Avison and a Thing in the Ice in it. You know, like we don't have that available either. Like that also helps suppri- suppress the prices yes. because you could get two rares in a pack. So right. this, is, this is the first time that we have nothing holding the cards back in a while. Yeah, this, this, this looks the, like a set from like five, ten years ago almost. Mm-hmm. When was the last time we had that? Where uh, where we didn't have... There was no flip card, no masterpiece. Uh, that would have been right before Balfour Zendikar. What was right before Balfour Zendikar? Oh, man. Well, I don't even know at this Well, we point. had Origins were flipped the summer before, right? And before so, Origins was Theros Block or Dragons? Yeah, so it been Dragons of Tarkir. Yep, Dragons yeah. Tarkir. Yeah, Dragons. it was Origins and then Dragons. Yeah, because Origins had the flip card. Yeah, so... Yeah. so yeah. Wow. So we're looking at, so this is, we are looking back to cons of Tarkir as like a financial model for this set. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right. All right. But so the cons of Tarkir Jace. had like the fetch lands. And so yes. that's kind of rough. Sure. Sure. And they absorbed a lot of value. Interesting. So let's talk about Jace cutting Castaway because that's the second most uh, valuable card right now at $15. What's the case for Jace and Standard? Okay, so Jace is definitely weak against Glorybringer, which I think is going to be kind of the hardest part against with it. But I think it's actually a, a pretty good Planeswalker. So three mana Planeswalkers have tr- traditionally been undervalued, and I think Jace is going to be kind of there too. So with uh, the, I think the plus ability is, is the main thing, because I think you want to get to the ultimate. I think the ultimate is the real deal and pretty scary, because... If you get to, you know, if you do get to loot, that's great. But even kind of letting Jace sit, have just be a three mana threat against any mid ranger control that can just sit there and um, plus twice and then ultimate. And then suddenly you, you have two Jaces out that are both at three that you get to use again that turn. So, you know how a lot of times when you have ultimates, like you want your planeswalker to stay around. So you try to plus like one more time before you ultimate because you want it to stick around. With Jace, you don't have to worry about that. You can just ultimate at five. You have two new ones. You can then like minus and minus one plus one or plus them both or anything like that. If you are able to have like a, a very cheap evasive threat that you're hitting with, that you're looting, it just sets up your draw steps pretty well. And uh, while you're taking your planeswalker up, I think it's just a, a good card. 
Does does him plussing off combat damage being dealt to a player by your creatures mean that you want this in a like pirates based tempo deck? Yeah, absolutely. I think any I think pirate based tempo decks will have a decent amount of Jaces in them. Definitely. And and there's some like mm. some some strong pirates in blue black, right? Yeah. The hostage taker it seems to be like one of the best cards in the format, basically. Or at least best card in the set. Yep, no, I I agree. Hostage Taker is definitely one of like is maybe the the prize for playing it. And you have other stuff like Ruin Raider also in there. Siren um, Storm Tamer. Yep. So yeah, no. That that's that's gonna be a real deck and, and Jace is gonna be a big part of it. Interesting. So do you do you do you would you rather be holding Jace than Carnage Tyrant? Um I would rather be holding two Jace than one Carnage Tyrant, which is like their their price right now. You know, like <laughs> yeah. Carnage Tyrant thirty. At, but it, how many Jaces could a Carnage Tyrant eat? <laughs> <laughs> That's a depend, lot, I think. That depends. Is he distracted by his sexy clothing? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no. Out of out of the top five cards, uh, I think the only one, like the only one that I would be interested in buying or holding, would be Jace. Like I'd be interested in holding Jace if I opened and it. it if Jace gets down else. under ten dollars on release weekend, you think that's a buy? I mean, I don't know. Ten dollars is still a lot. So, I think it's going to just basically be around a ten to twenty dollar card, you know, the whole time that like for a while. I think it's. I don't think it's going to go lower than ten. I don't think it's going to go above twenty. So. You know, buying a card at ten if you're trying to sell it, it's you know it's hard to unload cards even if it does get up to twenty at that price. I don't think it's like really a buy, but it's like a buy if you want to play them. You know, like so, this is a card that I'm not uh, too worried about buying them if you want to play them for like that. It's not really a good spec though. So you do you think it's less ubiquitous in the long run than Gideon Ally of Zendikar was? Yes. Yeah, so you don't it, think it's going to have that forty dollar moment like Gideon did several no. times? No, no, I don't think so. But I, I do think it'll. I think uh, I, I definitely think it'll have a twenty dollar moment, but I don't think it'll have a forty. So what, what do you think? What do you think about for Chandra? Right. So what do you think about growing rights of Itlamok at fifteen as a rare? It's awful. Sell it. <laughs> I, I don't think it's very good in general i don't think it should be five dollars i don't think you'll see any modern play i don't think Ooh. uh i think it's okay in edh but i I don't think i'll see very very minimal standard play like just some fun fnm decks and stuff i don't, I don't think it's good enough for constructed really so this is the legendary hmm. enchantment for tuna green which says when it enters the battlefield you look at the top four cards of your library you may reveal a creature card from among them and put it in your hand put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order at the beginning of your end step if you control four or more creatures transform growing rights of itlamok which turns it into itlamok cradle of the sun which lets it tap for green or green for each creature you control which is like a poor man's gaia's cradle that takes a long time to walk to yeah, I, th- I think how we talked about Ramanop Red earlier, I think that's like the main reason why you can't really play this. Like it, you just can't play this against Ramanop Red at all. Like if, if you play it for three mana, on, like on turn three, you're just dead. Um, so, yeah, I don't like it at all in standard. And in modern, a lot of people want to put it in elves, but I don't think I just don't think elves needs it at all. Like their their hands that they're winning, they're usually winning by turn three or turn four. And this just doesn't really help them. Yeah, I, I just don't because really because they already have lots of mana when they get to Azuri, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, them get gaining mana is not really a problem with with them having the devoted druid uh, combo. I think that's just a lot better and 
Because they even just need two druids and one Azuri, and that's that's infinite mana, or of course a druid plus uh, vizier. Yeah, I just don't think you need this at all. My thought about Atolmec was not every. Obviously, elves is a deck that everyone went to immediately, but my thought was it's not really great in elves. They already do that job well enough. It seems like it might be interesting in in working someplace else. Like there's another deck either that exists or doesn't exist that might be interested in this. Um, mechanic that isn't full of monodorks already. Yeah, the, the, it, the question is like under the doesn't exist yet category. Yeah, because it, it's like what token deck needs the has something to do with all the mana. Like you have like affinity that makes a bunch of creatures, but I don't really know what affinity would do with all the mana. I mean, the answer is always Emrakul, right? Yeah, just cast <laughs> Emrakul in any deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I still like the card for EDH, but I feel like we're going to get a much better entry point later. Yeah, yeah, definitely sell this if you get this early, uh, for sure. But yeah, it's a decent EDH card. I think it should be, like I said, like $5 or so. Definitely not 15 So the other two cards over $10 in the set are Vraska Relic Seeker and Hawatli Warrior Poet. Can we agree that these are occasional role players in the format that probably can't hold that price tag? Yep. These are your Obnixilis. They're going to be like whatever Obnixilis was, just... So just sell them. Yeah. Low. All right. So let's let's talk a little bit about the cards you think are underrated in standard right now. Okay. So I have, I actually, I was kind of going through the uh, spoilers and trying to find like the cards that, that looked like decent buys or, or pickups, you know? So like these are the cards that I think you should be trading for at pre-release uh, if you're somebody that likes to trade. Um, these are all just rares. Um, except for, I guess I have one, maybe mythic, uh, but um, you know, like they're not the best for specs or anything, but these are the cards that you should have your uh, eyes on and picking up. So the first one is uh, Search for Azkanta. Um, is it Colorless in a Blue Enchantment? Yep. Whenever it enters the battlefield, you look... No. You no, don't. at the beginning of your upkeep, you look at the top card of your library. You could put it in your graveyard, and then if you have seven or more cards in your graveyard, you transform it into Azkanta, the Sunken Ruin, which can tap for blue. Or, for two and a blue, look at the top four cards of your library and basically get an expensive impulse where you reveal a non-creature, non-land, and put it in your hand. The rest go on the bottom of the library. Very nice. Frankly, I'm disappointed Todd doesn't have this card memorized already. <laughs> yeah, no, I was trying to do it off of memory, and then, but then I was just thinking of the growing rights of Illumok that we were talking about. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, you think this is a control card? Yeah, this, I think this is definitely a control card. I think this is one of the, the strongest cards of the set. Um, it, it's still in the, uh, looks like it's in like the 4 to $5 range right now. So it's not the cheapest rare. Um, but as we said before, rares can be, uh, you know, they, they do have a higher ceiling here than they have in past sets. But I think this is one of the best cards in the set. Um, so not only for uh, standard, I think this is the easy include in, in standard uh, can control but i think this is also a good modern card honestly out of Ooh. out of like my uh, attention out of the sets i think this is one of the best modern cards um here uh in the set um i know uh like like my my friend tom ross he put this in uh he's already put this in uh infect sideboard like this is a real good card for infect just having their sideboard for just the uh card advantage and i think this can just go in it just lots of control decks and everything or just even uh, mid-range blue creature decks that want to fight against control for their sideboard. Um, 
So, so one of the things that makes this especially good in modern, right, is the presence of fetch lands filling the graveyard, things like Mishra's Bauble filling the graveyard, Thought Scour filling the graveyard. All of that is what leads this to be modern playable, right? Yeah. And it just works really well with, like, you know, cards like uh, Snapcaster Mage, for example. Like, you know, you maybe want some more cards in your graveyard, so Search, search can help you with that. Maybe you have Delve Threats, so you want more cards in your graveyard. Search can help you with that. Um, so there's, you know, it just helps, like, it... it you know, maybe we want delirium for for to turn our on our traverse the Uvenwald. You know, all that kind of stuff. So like, there's like search for tomorrow while it's in the graveyard. Um, you know, if you if you have two since legendary, you know, like that's a way to put enchantments in your graveyard for your, your traverse deck and so on. So right, uh, so that that's key right there, right? You said that like because it's legendary, you probably only run one or two. Well, okay, so so basically, what I was going to say is, uh, even though this is legendary, this is the kind of card you can play more than one or two. Because getting multiples actually isn't really that bad. So when you do have the clause of being able to transform it into cert into uh, the land, oh, you can have one of each. You can have one of each, and then it's it's also a may. So it's not like once you have seven cards yes. in your graveyard, you're just always transforming it and like you know ruining your land. It is a may. So you can just sit with the one out that just gets to scry every turn. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So I know a lot of people that have, that have like tried th- or like they've kind of played like Thassa in their deck like before for just like the scry ability basically and search for Ascanta just does that better interesting so foils at $18 probably not a nice price but if we yeah, can get down that, that seems sub, a little rough. Sub, sub 10 foils starts to pique my interest yeah kind of like with the traverses you know I'd much rather have like the 5 to $8 range on the foils there keeping in mind that we were talking about yeah traverses and spell quellers in the eight to twelve dollar range as entry points, so search for Azkanta is going to have trouble being better than either of those two cards. Broadly yeah. in the format, yeah. All right, so tell me what else was on your list. All right, next one, uh, Ruin Raider. Only uh, it's around two to three dollars right now, so it's three mana, three two with raid. At, and with the raid is at the beginning of your end step. If you attacked with a creature this turn, reveal the top card of your library, put that card in your hand. You lose life equal to that card's converted mana cost. So you get a dark confidant trigger at your end step. Um, this again, one of the best cards in the set. Uh, this is the kind of card that you don't have to just play in a pirate deck. I think you can play this in any kind of black aggro deck. It could go into uh, vampires as well, because um, you just have to be able to attack with any creature at all. And vampires, uh, looks like black white vampires really has the ability to attack with creatures um, very easily and make tons of tokens and stuff. And so you can just be able to make tokens and uh, attack with them and and get the trigger. Um, I think this this is it can't I don't think this is going to go any lower for the foreseeable future of only two or three dollars. I think this is a perfect card to be able to pick up because uh, if there are any real good black aggro decks, this is uh, why like they're going to be built around this card. Right. So potentially a four of in a couple of different styles of like tempo, mid range aggro, pirates, vampires, something like that. And the you think that three a three mana dark confidant's good enough? Yep, definitely. Even though there are going to be lots of magma sprays and those kind of stuff in the format, but uh, just the fact that you can kind of wait till your opponent's tapped out before you get this, you get the, you get the trigger like the same turn. So if your opponent's tapped out, all you have to do is just attack with anything, play this post combat, get your get your uh, card. So you, you don't have to. It doesn't have to be like Dark Confidant where you have to untap with it to get your uh, card back right away. And the fact hmm. that it triggers off your attack means you do have some flexibility in whether or not you you're endangering your own life total. Yep, that's also true. You know, if you're, you know, if you're sitting at two life, you don't have to always get the trigger. Also, 
This is interesting. I would not have pegged this for a modern card, but it's uh, some good insight. I'll, I'll tell you the price I want this at if it's going to be as ubiquitous as Todd believes. I, a dollar. A dollar would be great because then you could sell play sets maybe at 16 or something at some point and, and make it worth your time. Yep. Okay. Hmm. Next on the list. All right. So this one's a little... little uh... Uh, all right, so the next two are basically kind of go together. So I have two vampires. Um, I think the vampire decks, like I said, I think it's pretty real. And it's not an easy one to build, and it probably won't show up like very much week one. But I think uh, once people start getting more into the format and everything and playing more on Magic Online, I think Black White Vampires is going to be a real deck. So I, I like uh, getting both Sanct- Sanctum Seeker, Sanctum Seeker, which is like the new uh, Hell Rider. Uh, it's a four mana three four whenever any vampire you control attacks each opponent loses one life and you gain a life and um also maverin fane dusk apostle which is a three mana two two whenever one or more of your vampires attack create a one one uh vampire with lifelink so i think one thing that vampires especially this black white deck has really has going for it is I think it could be the foil of Ramanop Red. I think this could be like the natural way to beat Ramanop Red. Because there of all the are, lifelink? Yeah, there are plenty of ways to make 1-1 one, one lifelink tokens. And just a bunch of 1-1 one, one lifelink tokens is going to be really hard, I think, for Ramanop Red to deal with. Um, like Legion's Landing is a good enchantment that makes a 1-1 one, one life, lifelink token. And there's a lot of ways. So uh, Mavrin Fane... So the problem with Modern Fane is that it is legendary, and uh, it only has two toughness for three mana. So that's pretty tough. But um, if you do just play it before your combat, attack with anything, make a 1-1, you're basically getting a 2-2 and a 1-1 for three mana. And then if you get more 1-1s, it's just, you know, just golden. Bonus. Um, and so now if you're making a lot of tokens and everything you're going wide, then Sanctum Seeker is a perfect way to end the game. You know, each time you attack with anything, they lose a life, you gain a life. Sanctum Seeker is also not legendary, so you can have two or three of them out and just have them, you know, really drain your opponent out. So both cards you can probably find for under a dollar uh, right now. I think they're perfect cards to be picking up, uh, especially if that's the kind of deck you want to want to play. But those are some good uh, underrated cards right now. Legion's Landing seems important in that build. Oh yeah, no, Legion Landing is definitely a four of, even though it's a legendary enchantment. But yeah, that's that's a real important card for sure. That one's a right, little, it... little more expensive, so I didn't have that under the underrated part. Has the same benefit of being able to have the enchantment and the fort out at the same time. Yeah, uh, that yeah that that's the one where like it it doesn't do anything on the battlefield when you just attack with your three creatures you transform it so it doesn't really matter but you can uh, you can have like your one land out and your fort or whatever and make a token attack with stuff flip over the new one be able to make another token you know it's right. kind of nice right if you're flooded you've got a couple couple different ways to make use yeah. Mm. all right so vampires might be a real deck look for these things maybe in the some of these rares in the 50 50 to a 50 cent to a dollar range during release weekend maybe trade into a pile of them um these aren't the kind of specs i love generally these days especially until i before i see how well standard's doing as a whole like i want to hear from some se some you know local store owners um in my network and get a sense of how well the pre-release goes how well the first couple weeks of standard go before i'm gonna jump both feet in on this but interesting to see your thoughts on what you think is going to develop um, yeah these are these are better for like 
Um, yeah, these aren't the best specs to be able to flip for for money here. These are the really for your your players that if you're going to be playing standard, like target these cards at your pre-release, pick them up, get your play sets. Yeah, they're, this, they're this is the, this is the toolbox. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, two two more uh, of these. We got two dinosaurs. Uh, Burning Sun's Avatar, which we talked about uh, before, I, I definitely think that's standard playable. It's the kind of card that whenever, even whenever I first looked at it, I was like, okay, six mana, it's just this big, dumb dinosaur. But six mana is not that hard for their deck, and uh, it's really powerful if you can play it, especially with haste. It's It was the buy box promo, but you can probably find them around 50 cents, and I think it's a, a good pickup. And then also, I was surprised about how cheap Death Gorge Scavenger is. So Death Gorge Scavenger is... 3 mana, 3, 2. Whenever it enters the battlefield or attacks, you may exile a, a creature or exile any card from any graveyard. If it's a creature card, you gain 2 life. And if it's a non-creature, it gets plus 1, plus 1 until end of turn. So I think this is going to be one of the keys for dinosaurs to be able to beat Romanop Red. It's going to be a nice uh, life gain card to have in the main deck. And with the ability to have haste with a lot of these dinosaurs, you can get the trigger twice the turn you play it. You can play it it enters the battlefield you can uh either give it plus one plus one or gain two life and then attack with it and then again trigger again so you could be attacking with a five four haste for three mana if you have any of those ways to give your dinosaurs haste um i think it's just a an easy four of in the dinosaur deck i think it's it's the perfect three drop and so i was surprised it was only uh around a dollar fifty to two dollars right now feels like the kind of card that people have trouble wrapping their head around until they really see it like warm up. I feel like Tireless Tracker, when it first appeared on the scene, was a card that was vastly underestimated. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with that. So yeah, I could definitely see this being... This is probably out of all those uh, so far, this is probably like would be the best monetarily spec because I could see this being uh, up to like an 8 to $10 card because um, I think this is just a four of in every dinosaur deck and uh, could also just be in, in other decks for people that want other just green decks that want a way to uh, gain life and but then also want like a threat versus control so it's really nice how it does both of those interesting cool good list all right let's talk about uh, cards in ixalan that matter for modern and um, we touched on opt earlier you uh, said that you think jace cunning castaway is an interesting modern card um foils for jace are sitting at in 33 or so i think we all can agree we want that to come down before we pay any attention yep um growing rights of itlamok foils are at 50 dollars. i'm out based on yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're out <laughs> so so if we pop one of the those this weekend um Sounds like if, if you don't think it's going to do anything in standard and it's not going to get anywhere in modern anytime soon, we want to let the bottom fall right out on that card and look at it again for EDH, right? Oh, yeah. I'll try to get like some kind of invocation or something for it. <laughs> right. So what about Legion's Landing and Black-White Tokens in modern? I don't think it's... I don't like it, really. Not, not at like the $13 price tag is what it looks like the foils are going at right now. Um, I think that number can go down a long ways. Like as we we talked about before with like Traverse Spell Queller, like Legion Landing is not as good as those, and I I would be looking at I would want it to be less than five dollars before I'd be interested at all. In it. And this is a and this is a fall set rare versus say a winter small set rare. So there's that factor. I mean, it is balanced against the lack of great mythics and the lack of masterpieces. And yet, how many would would you even run in black white tokens? I mean. That's a deck I play, and I'm 
it's competing against Inquisition, Thoughtseize, Path, and Fatal Push. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's really even. I don't think it's powerful enough for that for that deck, honestly. Because like your it doesn't get enough bodies in the ground for me for one ones, and I don't. I just don't feel like that's good enough. Right, it's too slow. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it's probably yeah. We'll talk about it more for EDH. Search for Azkanta, you think does make it in modern? We talked about that a little bit. Foils are at eighteen dollars. I think we that's want that brutal. We want that to come down. Yeah. Yeah, but still good, good modern card, good uh, commander card. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be it's a real real solid card, one of the best in the set. But still, that foil price needs to come down. What about Kopala Warden of Waves in Modern Merfolk? Hate it. Off it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who was it? Arilax or somebody was t- talking about how bad this card was too. It just doesn't do anything well enough, and it's not mana efficient enough either. They probably test it a one or a two of and then decide to leave it out? Yeah, probably. Is there anything else for Modern we haven't mentioned that's caught your eye? Yeah, um... My the the card that I'm looking forward to the most in modern, which we haven't mentioned at all yet today tonight, is uh, Shaper's Sanctuary. Uh, green, just singular green enchantment. Uh, whenever any of your creatures become a target of a spell or ability from your opponent, you get to draw a card. So I think that's just a really good card in a deck like Elves that struggle against a bunch of removal, a deck like any kind of collected company deck, even I think a deck uh, like Affinity. I think Affinity could be playing it in their sideboard as well. Uh, against all these control decks that have so many different removal spells, um, each one they use, it, you get to draw a card. And it's only a singular green uh, investment, so it's not it's not like a huge man investment to get your get get your value back. I think that's going to be a really important sideboard card in modern. Would it earn hmm. a sideboard slot in Value Town? Oh yeah, definitely. Yep, I'm looking forward to putting it in there. Single copy? Yep, probably just single copy to start with. Um, but yeah, it's it's. It's a really good card to have early game. So maybe more for for Value Town control isn't like the worst matchup, you know. But some of those other decks, like Elves, really struggles against control. Uh, you know, it's usually sweepers, but kind of the same thing with Affinity. But there are still a lot of like the Lightning Bolt, Path to Exile, Lightning Helix, Fatal Push, all that kind of stuff. Um, in fact, Tom Ross also had that as a as a card in his sideboard to help against all the people targeting. That makes sense. Well, yeah, it seems seems really solid against like a Jundur Abzan too, right? You know, they've got lightning bolts and terminates and plenty of spot removal themselves. Oh yeah, even uh, Grixis Death Shadow. You know, like that's they got plenty too. So yeah, it's it's a uh, especially those kind of decks that don't usually play as many sweepers. So I think it's going to be a really important sideboard card for modern and and uh, yeah. I, so I so foil is currently available in the ten to eleven dollar range. I think we want that to get quite a bit lower. Uh, as a one or a two of in sideboard, it's probably no main deck play. I'm thinking three four dollar foils, aiming for a ten dollar exit if it doesn't see a reprint in two three years. That's yeah. not super exciting. Yeah, so probably like that one answer for us can't like whenever the next set comes out, they'll probably be about you know as cheap as you know probably about a much better uh, entry point then. Um, can I, before we get into your list of EDH cards, James, I have a card that I want to ask about for um, for standard that I that I didn't get a chance to bring up. Um, what do you think about Treasure Cruise, Todd? Or I'm sorry, Treasure Map. I, I know what you think about Treasure Cruise. What do you think about <laughs> Treasure Map? <laughs> All right, so Treasure Map. Uh... Th- this is the one. Uh, it is a two mana artifact. Uh, I'm gonna do this for our listeners. It's the two mana artifact. You pay one 
tap it and you scry one, and then you put a counter on treasure map. Um, so it's similar to crystal ball that we saw back in like M11 or M12. But once you've done this three times, you get three treasure tokens and then you flip it and you can either add mana to your mana pool by tapping the land or sack one of the treasures to draw a card. So once you've scryed three times, you either get three Lotus petals or you can draw three cards. So this one's, this is a tough one. This is definitely this is definitely a lot harder card to evaluate than I think probably any card we've had so far. Um, I don't on the face. I don't could think it will be good enough. I think it's going to be kind of too slow against like Ramanop Red and other things. Like I could see like while you're doing this, Teamer displays Servant of the Conduit into Chandra into Glorybringer. You know, it's it's hard to imagine that this is going to be good enough there. The other thing about treasure tokens are treasure tokens are very valuable early game when you want to empty your hands but not valuable late game so the way that like this allows you to turn your treasure tokens into basically like clues that's pretty nice because clue tokens are kind of the opposite they're not very valuable early game when you're trying to play stuff but they're extremely valuable in the late game uh, when you mm-hmm. don't have anything so treasures are kind of the opposite of clues so that's why you that's why they can't really print like a one mana card that gets you a treasure like that Thraven Inspector was one man card that gave you a clue because treasures are just so valuable early. Um, well, I will tell you that my thought when I looked at this was that it definitely struck me as a little slow, but I could see it slotting into control, which is going to be happy, you know, especially if they have a, a dearth of effects that, you know, early in the game. Um, it doesn't do a lot to interact with your opponent, but it does give you the ability to kind of try and get to your wraths. Uh, a little more cleanly and then it either lets sets you up to cast like the seven mana draw spell or just gives you more fuel for the for you know after you've kind of exhausted your hand by turn six or seven and i could also see it possibly fitting into a ramp strategy because you basically scry away excess lands or look for lands depending you know try to find the correct half of your deck for whatever stage of the game it is and then suddenly it blows up with three mana and now you can cast your 10 or 11 drop uh, on turn like seven type of thing yeah i could see that there's not a whole lot of good 10 or 11 like there's no, just not i don't know if the payoffs are there for ramp anymore in the format sure um sure. i think this card's very similar to one of zach elsick's favorites from the set that he used to play in blue black control uh, for the last format was sunset pyramid from our devastation which was the two mana artifact that right. entered with three brick counters and you could pay two and remove a brick counter and draw a card and or also pay two and scry one um I know he really liked that card, but I think it's kind of the similar s- slot there, which I just don't think it's going to be. I think this is going to be like an under the dollar card, but it may show up as a one of in some decks and everything. It's hard for con- it's hard to imagine playing this in, c- in control when you have stuff like uh, um, uh, the the two mana with X draw X cards and then discard one. You know, when you have we have such good card draw that we have in this format. Mm, yeah, I suppose maybe this is a victim. Yeah, yep. maybe this is a victim of uh, victim of the sort of the metagame. Like it would have been good in other formats, but uh, there's too much competition in this particular format for it to really stretch its. I mean, the format size. needs to be slow enough for the mana expenditure over multiple turns to justify not being not casting threats or or answers, and that I think. Well, you can black happen. lotus. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So let's let's jump into these EDH cards. Um, back to Growing Rights of Itlamok, which in EDH, four creatures, no problem. 
now you have a cradle. <laughs> um, cradle is in very high demand in EDH, and lots of people can't afford it because it's only going up. It's a reserve list card, super expensive, and only going to get more. So I think I think Cradle is going to hit a thousand, um, and and is an excellent place to park some cash if you want fire and forget style MTG finance. And on that basis alone, I think that you know, and the fact that like doubling season token attracts the strategies. Um, all like to have lots of creatures on the table, um, and rights just plays into all of that. Yep, I love it. It's perfect. Perfect for EDH. But $50 foils are not where we want to enter on this card. Yeah. We we want people to be very disappointed with it for standard and modern, have this drop into the basement, and then pick up a ton of them. Yep. All right. So next... What's got me excited about this set for the long term is there are so many flip colorless cards that do things that are relevant in EDH. Like this looks like they went out of their way to set up a bunch of new uh, potential staples in the format. So next on my list is Thaumatic Compass. This is the two mana artifact for three and a tap. You search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it in your hand, then shuffle your library. At the beginning of your end step, if you have if you control seven or more lands, you transform it into Spires of Or. Razka, which can tap for colorless, or it's a maze of if. Untap target attacking creature and opponent controls and remove it from combat. Um, maze of if is a popular card in EDH. Super useful to be able to rattlesnake people away from attacking you with their best creature and wasting their attack step. Thematic compass ramps in EDH, which is always good, and then turns into a useful thing when you don't need to ramp anymore. Yeah, this looks just amazing in EDH. And I actually think that this I honestly could see playing this in constructed also, um, in in standard. Uh, I could see like with the blue white approach that I played at the last Grand Prix. I could see playing this. So I'm sure like it's like the five mana total to search for a basic land card. You're not going to want to do that now. Pro- you'd probably just not even use the ability, but you'd probably just kind of wait and do your normal things anyway. And then just in the late game when you have your seven lands, just play it for two and step, just transform it into Maze of Ith. Right. Um, yeah, like I could definitely see just even playing this in standard also. If you're holding up a counter spell or something, or an instant speed trick or a removal spell or something, you you occasionally search up a land end of turn, take advantage of your bonus mana, but the rest of the time you're just waiting for your seven. Yeah. Yeah. And we we see getting seven lands in standard is really not that hard. Like remember Nissa Va- this kind of reminds me of Nissa Vaswoods here, where you right. know, like with Nissa, you like I think this is kind of the same type of thing is where you wouldn't really want to play Nissa on turn three a lot of times if you have other things to do because you don't want it to die. I could see this this kind of thing where you just want to do other stuff, but then once you hit your seven lands, you'd play your Nissa, get it to transform right away, or you know you play your th- thaumatic com- compass, get it to transform right away. You get another land and or and it's uh, also just a maze of it that can add mana. So do you see yourself slotting this into blue white approach of the second suns? I, I want to try it out. Um, uh, I wrote an article that came out today on Star City Games that had my list that it, for uh, week one standard, but it did not have this. But this one and another card we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, Primal Amulet, are two cards that I'm very interested in that I'm going to be testing that uh, I think have, have some real promise. So Compass Foils are at $28 or so right now. I f- <laughs> my target on this card is $4 for the foil. <laughs> Yeah, all so these foil prices just seem so high. Yeah. E- yeah. E- EDH hype and lack of sellers, you know, this is pre-order season and this is a little, some of the stuff's getting a little 
overhyped. So we also have Vanquisher's Banner, which is in the same uh, vein as my pick of the week. This is a Tribal Crusade card, which uh, you choose a creature type. It's an artifact for five mana. Creatures get plus one, plus one. Um, so not the plus two, plus two you get from Obelisk of Erd, but on the on the uh, pro side, when you cast a creature spell of the chosen type, you draw a card, which is massive card advantage in a dedicated tribal deck. Um, foils are actually not that bad right now, $7, but I think they're going to get down into the 3 to $4 range, and then I think you stash away a bunch because give it two years and this thing will mature into a 15 to $20 card. Yeah, I like this uh, over Obelisca Verge just kind of in general. It looks like they're at the same price point. It like, uh, looks like start, uh, SCG just has four in stock for $6 for foil, like near mint. Um, so yeah, like I, I like that pickup. I, I think that's like out of so far, like that's that's one you could pick up at day one. And uh, you know, er, who doesn't like drawing cards? So you just got to cast your creature, draw a card. It sounds great. So so this <laughs> next card looks like crazy in EDH, but I'm curious about your thoughts on it for, in standard. Um, the one I'm talking about is Revel in Riches. This is that weird black uh, enchantment that anytime a creature uh, an opponent controls dies, you create a treasure token. Um, and at the beginning beginning of your upkeep, if you have 10 or more treasures, you win the game. So in EDH, you can basically drop this, wrap the board, and win, um, which seems crazy. Yeah, this is insane yeah. in EDH. I, I can't even believe this is printed for EDH. Uh, I don't <laughs> think it's good enough for Constructed. For so the combo, the combo I saw was into Marionette Master. Which one's Marionette Master? That's the six mana from Kaladesh. It's a one three when it comes into play and you get three servos or it gets three plus one plus one tokens. Anytime an artifact dies on your side, the opponent loses life equal to the power of Marionette Master. Hmm. Yeah, the other combo with this is that you... Uh, spell Swindle. You, yeah, Spell Swindle on turn into five. Marionette Master. Like, yeah, five or six treasure tokens. Untap, cast Marionette Master is a four six yeah. and then sack all your treasure tokens and just dome them for 20. Yeah. So is there a blue-black control deck that can make use of all that jank and get somewhere? Uh, I, I guess. That, that Maybe that, yeah, that could be a thing. Um, it's like a combo deck. Yeah, that that could be that could happen. But I love it for EDH, <laughs> though. And it looks it looks real cheap. Like, it looks, you know, what, like three, four bucks right now? Like that yeah. for the foil? $4, $4 foils in EDH makes me wonder whether people just think it's going to get banned. Yeah, it could just get banned. It really could. Like, it's it's that good. All right, so next, let's talk about Primal Amulet, since it was already on your radar. This is another one of the colorless cards that's got my interest. This is an artifact for four mana. Instant and sorcery spells you cast cost one less to cast. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, put a charge counter on it. If it's got four charge counters, you flip it, and from then on, um, you add one mana of any color to your mana pool by tapping it, and if you spend it on an instant or sorcery, you fork it. Yeah, this looks insane. Wow. (laughs) Do you... Do you think that Blue Red uh, Control wanted this a couple seasons back? Oh yeah, they did. I, I could see, I could definitely see just Control playing this also. So you spend four mana up front, you get nothing, but your next four instants and sorceries are all going to cost one less. So you basically get that mana investment back over time. So you know you're you're actually saving that mana in the future. So you, you know it's just if you can stay alive after you cost cast it the first time and then man being able to fork your spells just for free you know you get a you get a land that adds a mana to begin with so it you know makes your spell cost one less and you get a fork it wow this working awesome yeah this has this has some real power potential if the format's slow enough this is one that i'm really going to keep my eye on here for standard so was it pyromancer's goggles 
that Todd uh, Anderson showed up with at one point and put that deck on the map? Was that the one that you tap? Yeah, yeah you yeah. add. That was the five mana legendary artifact. Add red to your mana pool when when it's spent on a red instant or sorcery. You fork. Yep. Yeah, they would. Yeah, they so would like this card. Red instant or sorceries, but this just any instant or sorcery like forking glimmer of geniuses or approach of the second sun just gains you fourteen life. Like, gosh, that seems that seems really good. Yeah, and with the various like commanders that are focused on instants and sorceries, specifically in the Is It tribe, I can see these foils being worth money down the road. Currently, people want fifteen for them. That's too rich for my blood, given its relative niche status. But um, if it gets down into the three or four dollar range, I'm probably interested. Yep, and it's a John Avon art, so another plus. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right, so how about this one? This is the first uncommon I think we've talked about yet. Unclaimed Territory is the new tribal five-color land that makes uh, any color, but only if you're playing out a creature of the chosen tribe. Um, foils are currently $11. That seems super rich um, for a fall set uncommon. Um, but there are some tribal themes. Do you think that this this card will see play in standard, Todd? Because the mana bases are a little shakier. I don't think so. Too much in standard. Um, Pirates. Wait. Okay. Wait. It, it can just tap for a colorless, also, right? Yep. Okay. So yeah. So I guess it will see some. Um, uh, it'll see some, but not not a ton. I, I don't like it at all at the the price for either just the non foil or the the foil. This is a card that I'd probably want to try to trade out of uh, in general. Um, but, uh, as far as modern goes, I don't think there's too many tribal decks that play this, like maybe slivers, maybe band spirits. I think band spirits mana decks fine. I don't think they need this. Um, that's the thing. Most, most of the decks, like you basically have to have a five color, all tribal deck to be able to make this, you know, be able to want to run this. Five color um, humans with dark confidant and snapcaster mage and yeah, like that that deck. Uh, well, it doesn't really ha- doesn't have snapcaster mage, but yeah, that has or dark confidant. But that five color humans <laughs> deck that was playing like mana confluence before, like this is probably right, better right. than mana confluence in your deck in like in like that deck because um, you just don't have to take the damage all the time. But I I don't think this is going to see as much standard in modern play as as it looks like, but. Um, so yeah, I, I would definitely want to sell on uh, either of these prices here. Yeah, over over ten, definite sell. I think I'd be looking to get in in like two dollars, maybe on sale on Star City at some point at a dollar fifty. Who knows? Yeah. Um, so next on my list was Shaper Sanctuary, which you already mentioned for modern as a potential sideboard card, and I think is also going to be main deck, obviously in in EDH, where whenever a creature you control becomes the target of a spell or an ability an opponent controls, you draw a card. That's a slam dunk include in green decks, and there are many many green decks that want this in EDH. Right. So I mean, eleven dollars for these foils—a little high. But if it gets down into say five or six dollar range, I think that's sufficient to move in. Yeah, I think it's a good good comparison with Traverse. You know, Traverse is at sitting at seven or eight. Like this has to be lower than Traverse. Right. So how about Arcane Adaptation? This is the Tribal Harmony enchantment in blue. Um, I believe it makes all of your creatures the same type, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, as our as our arcane adaptation enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. Creatures you control are the chosen type in addition to their other types. The same is true for creature spells you control and creature cards you own that aren't on the battlefield. So all your creatures everywhere become, what, slivers? I have no idea. All I know is it's open-ended synergy with any number of things that could make it useful in the future. Yeah, I don't. I don't have much on this card. I don't know. I don't know much about this one. 
Foils at $4. I don't think need to make a move. I'm looking for $1 to $2 on those foils. What do you think, Travis? Yeah, this effect already exists uh, for slightly more, but I, I'm not sure how viable the application is at the moment. Um, you'd have to, I think, in order... I mean, if we're talking about EDH, I mean... Yeah, EDH especially already has the effect, like twice over, so... Eh. Yeah, but sometimes like in EDH, the reason nobody's using the effect is because you can't reliably find it, right? So Yeah, and it, I mean, you're going from two to three, so, like, you get better, but I don't think it's suddenly going to explode in popularity. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a low priority, but it's something I might keep my eye on down the road if it gets cheap enough. Sure. I mean, if you're placing an order already and they've got a couple at, like, a dollar... Like you could throw them in your cart, but I probably wouldn't go looking for them. Mm-hmm. So Legion's Landing, we talked about before as well. That's the the one that makes a vampire token when it comes in. And then when you flip it, when you attack um, with three creatures, you get to make tokens every turn. That seems to slot into the vampire's deck in EDH pretty easily. Um, but it's unclear whether it makes any other decks beyond that. So foils at 13, that's too high. Let me know when they get down into the 2 to $4 range and then we can talk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we like, so the most, like, you know, the one mana one one's just not good at all in EDH. So you really just want the land, the land, you know, you can make one ones, but we already have lands like Sliver Hive and Westville Abbey and stuff where you can just, you know, make one ones if you want and you don't have to go through the trouble of attacking with some creatures. I, I would actually kind of even be surprised if that if Legion's Landing shows up in uh, EDH kind of at all, even in vampire decks. Hmm. Guess we'll see how that plays out. Um, last on my list for EDH was Dowsing Dagger. This is the uh, weird uh, equipment for two. Two to play it, two to equip it. You got to put it on something that flies or has evasion or shadow or something because you got to get past the two zero two green plant creature tokens you give your opponent. Um, equipped creature gets plus two plus one, and when it deals damage, you get to transform it into a Lotus Veil that taps for three colorless mana. So... I think this card's a little better in EDH where you can give one opponent the creatures Tokens. and then you attack yeah. somebody else. Yep. So that's, that's kind of nice, but at like four total mana to be able to do that, I feel like you just, I feel like you just want to just play Gilded Lotus and just for five and you have, you have your, artif- <laughs> you have your artifact that taps your three mana. Yeah, you, you are making yourself run through a lot of hoops in a format that already has Soul Ring, Mana Crypt, Mana Vault, um, <laughs> Gilded Lotus, yeah. um, uh, and several other broken old artifacts that nobody should be allowed to play. Right. It, it'll slot into a couple decks, like non-green decks that are a little mana-hungry but also play creatures would probably play it. Um, or even maybe some of the white decks, the white equipment decks, because they tend to... Uh, struggle to find decent mana and it fits into like their equipment theme it's especially good if you're playing with like um you know kemba or effects of that nature because you kind of get the additional bonuses but i agree that you know if you could pay one more and just get gilded lotus then it's like eh. the upside i suppose is that once you flip it it's basically invincible or at least much much less likely to get destroyed so you know it does have that going for it you're not going to lose it in the next austere command foils are twenty dollars can we agree we want those <laughs> under five to be excited? Yeah, definitely. I, I would have paid two. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let me let me list a couple, a few more cards just quick without getting into them in great detail. Um, Herald of Secret Streams is the four mana Merfolk that makes all your creatures with plus one plus one counters unblockable. That's might be playable in Atraxa. Um, Jace and Genius Mind Mage is the Jace out of the um, 
uh, what do you call these decks now? Planeswalker the, decks. Yeah, the dual deck. Yeah, Planeswalker decks. Um, this. <laughs> what do you? What do you call this deck that's just got Planeswalkers it's like, in yeah, it? Yeah, it's a Planeswalker deck. So Jason Genius Mind Mage pluses to draw cards, and if you play him into a doubling season, then he takes control of the three most powerful creatures on the table in EDH, and is still alive to defend himself. Yeah, that's reasonable in, in Atraxa again. Reasonable. Yeah, Overflowing Insights, the one for seven mana, you draw seven cards. I suspect that will make its way into some decks. Yeah, definitely. That's a good one to double, too, if you want to use that, that Primal Amulet to uh, double it and just draw 14. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. Ver- Veraska, Relic Seeker. Um, seems like the kind of Planeswalker, and there's a lot of competition in this slot, but as a six-mana Planeswalker, they can put tokens on the board that could be doubled by doubling season can destroy target artifacts, creatures or enchantments um, and gets a treasure token and on her ultimate can make target players life total become one. That seems like enough flexibility uh, in the use pattern that she probably shows up and attracts a planeswalkers. And I really want to just use a ultimate and then gut shot somebody. Can I just do that? <laughs> That's all I want to do now. You're just gonna play Jund Planeswalkers into gut shot for the win. <laughs> yep. Yep. How about how about Hornet Sting? Is Hornet Sting dumber? What is the the most ludicrous one damage you can deal? Ooh, Hornet Sting's a good one. It isn't the same colors too. That's a pretty good one. That's funny. <laughs> They're like, why are you playing Hornet Sting? You're like, well, just in case my opponent stabilizes at one, gotta get him. <laughs> uh, actually, we didn't mention this card. This is interesting. Uh, I want to qu- ask you about standard play, but. Star of Extinction doing 20 damage to all creatures and all planeswalkers is almost certainly going to make it in EDH. I think I think this could actually see some play in like blue red control um as like a one of maybe a two of. I think it's, it's very similar to uh Descend Upon the Sinful. Um I think I'll say basically about the same amount of play as that. We saw Descend Upon the Sinful was always like a, a dollar or 2 dollars, you know, and I think Star of Extinction basically about the same. I I kind of yeah same as that can i convince you to cast this into a boros reckoner on stream one day Ooh, wow that sounds great <laughs> That'd be pretty what, what if i use a um what if i use a uh oh no that that uh pyromancer's goggles yeah and then what if i use that pyromancer's goggles that oh, we talked yeah. about earlier just double oh yeah well then then you play stuffy doll and then that way if they're over 20 you're definitely getting them perfect really make use of that second copy <laughs> That's funny. All right. Let's see how this deck loses. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned Sanctum Seeker for uh, standard play. I think in EDH, uh, the vampires uh, may be in the market for something that uh, does a lot of life swinging. Um, oh, yeah, no, because that's each opponent loses one life whenever you tag with a vampire, also. So, yeah, I love it. Yep. And there's also Arguel's Blood Fast. That's the legendary enchantment that one black pay two life. So it's got a greed effect. And if you can manage your life total carefully um, at five life or less at the beginning of your upkeep, you transform it. And then you basically have a life chisel, right? You can sacrifice a creature and gain life equal to its toughness. I don't know what deck wants that effect, but I suspect somebody will find a use for it at some point. Yeah, I can't I can't imagine that card's playable in any format ever. <laughs> I can't imagine that. <laughs> It's high praise. <laughs> All right. All right so, well, any, anybody, anybody else got any pet cards out of this set that we haven't mentioned? Um, we did. We treasure did mention, map was mine. Um, a hostage taker a little bit. Uh, that's a card that 
my my friend Brennan DeCandio uh, just tweeted out a little while ago that he says that the card is broken and you should buy every copy. That's what he said. Interesting. So one, one thing Hotch's Taker does have for it is it is a very good answer to Hazoret or Glorybringer, you know, like those creatures that are hard to deal with. You know, especially yeah. Azeroth, you can you get to exile it. Did did you that like card it? Is re- did, ahead, you, did you like it even more when it self exiled itself and went infinite instantly? Oh yeah, no, that was the best. Yeah, <laughs> I love I love having games just end with me coming out on the- Moto on turn four <laughs> by accidentally casting that was the card. The- that was the M Night Shyamalan twist. Oh, he he kidnapped himself. Um, this card, I, I I would be all about this card, but blue black is rough, right? Like now you are now you are at like one maybe two decks. Yeah, you know, and compared to like Walking Blissa, which was seven of them. Exactly, that was the last card that he was like, "This card's broken." By all of them was Walking Blissa, and that that card though gets in every deck. But yeah, you're right. The blue black is rough. If it's just like anything else, like green red. Green, white, you know, white, blue. red, but like blue, black, that is rough. Yeah. And so I, that's a card that I would not be surprised if people are going to spec on that card. And I think that it's very possible that some people are going to make money, but the, the two colors are just at like three or four bucks to buy in just makes me too nervous. Yeah. And not only gets creatures, though, it does get artifacts as well. So you can get, you know, like God Pharaoh's gift. You can take stuff like that, um, you know, so it gets artifacts and creatures. Man, it'd be pretty fun to do this to an Emrakul. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Well, it has now been uh, almost two and a half hours, and was, I am like no, four it was totally hours. It was totally 45 minutes, like I said. Yeah, yeah 45 and minutes. And uh, I'm pretty hungry. I have not eaten dinner yet, and it's like after 11 o'clock. So I'm going to wrap this up here. Uh, let's see. James, where can our listeners find you? As per usual, you guys can find me on Twitter at MTGCritic, as well as via my weekly articles on mtgprice.com okay todd where can our listeners find you you can find me on every social media platform that i am on at todd stevens mtg if you're not sure if i'm on just check and see if i'm there and uh, you can also find my weekly articles on starcitygames.com where i'll make articles and uh, versus series videos and uh, what's your what's your twitch stream oh yeah i'm also on twitch at todd stevens mtg Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for your insights on Ixalan today, Todd. It's been a pleasure, and we'll hope to have you back sometime in the future. Thanks for having me. Okay. Uh, I'm Travis Allen, <laughs> James, <laughs> uh, Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter. Uh, right every Monday over on MTG Price. Also do the webcast Cartel Aristocrats. All right, I'd like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service. For just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Todd, we were really glad to have you with us this week, and uh, I'm guessing we're probably going to pester you when the next set comes around too, because I thought this was very informative. Although I will eat dinner before we cast next time. <laughs> uh, yeah. Good. Good luck with the rest of the SCG tour. We wish you all the best. Um, keep brewing, brother, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, Todd, it was great to have you. And James, that about wraps up episode eighty-six. Thanks for joining Todd and I this week, and I will uh, see you on next week's cast. Thank you, Travis, and we'll see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Thank you.